and we, we decided that this we, we, we weren't going to compete with $200 million movies in terms of action for action's sake. So we had to have a, a new approach on um, how we were going to make our action manifest. So for, for instance, in a boat chase, we looked at every boat chase that's ever been constructed in uh, cinematic history mm -hmm. and we couldn't find one that was worth it. Although there were a couple of funny ones mm -hmm. and whatnot. So we decided to shoot the whole thing off a guy eating a sandwich. Um, but it was traditionally that's where you put an action mm -hmm. beat. And really the only action beat within that se section is a man eating a sandwich. So but at least that felt fresh to us. Yeah. We sort of had that approach towards everything. Welcome to Not A Bomb Podcast. It is Yankee podcast that discuss film that bomb in USA. A fun Russian fact, no movie made by Russian director ever bombed. We make greatest film in all of the world. Not like stupid American capitalist pigs who make bombs and unrealistic movies about Yankee boxer beating Russian boxer. It never happened in real life. Running up Russian mountain will not help you beat greatest Russian icon, Ivan Drago. Anyway, I am host Comrade Troy. With me is American Yankee film guy, Brad. Previate, Brad. How is you doing in corrupt Yankee land today? Fantastic, man. I'm fantastic. I'm going to jump into it right now, Troy. Yes, yes. Like all stupid Americans, you make mistake, and now... You have to publicly talk about Yankee stupid film mistake, yes? Uh, yes. Yes. <clears throat> Here we go. This is from Ben. Subject line, Mortal Kombat, which already I was like super excited to read this email. And then here we go. Okay, gentlemen, when are you doing the original Mortal Kombat? I'm dying to hear it. Troy, it's on the list. It's hum It's coming. It's coming. But it's, coming. But it's not bomb. It's a, like a 50% on Rotten Tomatoes. Ah, uh, yes. Like typical American yes. Yankee film, it stink. <laughs> it stink, yeah. Okay. I had to correct... Uh, oh, I hate to correct anyone on their own podcast, but in Christmas Story, Ralphie gets a C-plus on his theme, not a C-minus. Sorry, Brad. I do love you. So, in, in fact, Ralphie does get an A-plus on that. I went back and looked at the YouTube clip. It is an a, it is a C-plus, uh, not a C-minus. My analogy still stands. Suck it. <laughs> well, that no, th thank you, Ben. <laughs> I was gonna say, Ben, don't suck it. That was a great correction. We appreciate you um, calling Brad out on that. Hey, Brad, we're on episode thirty-eight. It was my pick. I went to a movie that has been on the list from day one, and I mean, we've we've done a bunch of movies on this podcast, but this is the one that I'm super excited about to talk um, because it's one of my favorites. And I really, I mean, the whole idea of this podcast was to talk about films that don't really get appreciated. And they came out of the gate, they bombed, maybe the critics don't like it, but it's, it's something that I really think everybody's got to kind of take a step back and watch. 
And it's none other than 2015's The Man from Uncle, which was based on a TV show from the 60s. We also have a fantastic guest from the show. You have heard his his excellent voice on so many episodes, but we are so happy to have John back to the show. John, how are you doing this evening? Doing well, comrade. <laughs> I am excited to be here. <laughs> I'm not going to offend anyone with my Russian accent, so... <laughs> In Russia, What's up, guys? podcast pod you. <laughs> that was pretty good. That's very nice. Very nice, yeah. That's not Russian, is it? No, is Borat is... Russian? No. I didn't think so. Okay. So That's Yakov Smirnoff. Okay. Uh, oh, yeah, good point. Oh, my God. was He was, like, big in the 80s. He was making um, – what was the Robin Williams film? Was it Moscow on the Hudson where he played yes. a Russian? Okay, old guy. I'm going yes. to go take a – Piss break real quick. You guys talk about what happened in the 80s. Okay, shut up, Brad. So tonight we're talking about 2015's The Man from Uncle. But before we get there, I thought it would be fun because we usually start with just a fun question. And I'm curious, this movie is based off of an iconic 60s television show. So I only thought it was obvious to maybe talk about our favorite movies that are based on TV shows. Now, John, the last time you were here, we talked about a really fun movie, Firefly, right? Firefly and Serenity, that is Yes, correct. so you love the original TV show. We, yes. um, or I, I can't say for, for Brad, but myself, I was not incredibly impressed with the TV show, but absolutely loved the film. But I got to know, and I'm going to start with you, John, if you had to pick um, a film that was based off of a TV show that was one of your absolute favorite, if not your favorite of all time, which one would it be? Gosh, you would ask a question that had so many potential answers. Um, all right, so I guess I guess the one movie that definitely stands out that I love um, that was based on a TV show was the original Christopher Reeve's Superman. Ooh, oh, does that count? Yeah, I mean, Superman was a TV show before the movie. That's came out, true, right? Okay, and uh, yeah, uh, and, and a close one to that, you know, the Adams Family. The, the first. Oh, one. ooh, yeah, that's a good pick. Superman, yeah, I so always I, equate I to the comic book series comic more than book, yeah, the TV show, but it, I totally get it in terms of if you, not wrong. yeah, if you never read the comics yeah. and you were only introduced to that character through the TV show, I guess the Christopher Reeves version would be a fantastic sort of, um, I don't know, jumping off point for it, right? Yeah. So yeah. I got to ask this in terms of the film that came out um, initially with Christopher Reeves versus the TV show. How similar were they in tone or plot? I, I've never seen the Superman TV series. So they, they were vastly different in the sense. So, so to kind of, the little bit of backstory was, again, when I was a, you know, a kid living in Germany, um, we didn't have the up-to-date oh, program. Guten Tag. So we, yeah, Guten Tag. We had a lot of old series that were played repetitively on, on you know, the American Broadcast Network uh, for the service members and their families um so it was like rawhide the original uh, man from uncle was on there a couple of times rifleman and you know superman um but when the movie came out really excited because i always loved the superman you know just from the scene of just him flying you know superman was awesome because he was flying but the one big joke that you know i remember always happened was before he uh, before he was flying in the air he always had to jump and stamp on the ground really hard before he could take off and that was just not the movie. The movie was just a visual delight and finally understanding what Superman was because after that, that's when my dad really started introducing me to the comics. Um, fell in love with it and it was one of my mom's favorite movies because she loved her, some Christopher Reeve. Holy cow. So I always have a question about Superman. 
is he flying? Because I always thought he could jump a small building in a single bound. I always just assumed he was jumping really far. What? Because that's why he was... Because in the thing, it always says he can scale a small building in a single bound. He's not... Isn't that why he stomped in the show? Because it was supposed to be like, he's jumping? So that's that's what someone tried to explain to me. And um, funny enough, in one of Henry Cavill's other movies, Man of Steel, they, they kind of allude that too, right? He, he's jumping and then he <laughs> crashes through a mountain. I, I always took it... Uh, to your point, Brad, that, yeah, he, he has to have that inertial uh, momentum to get up off the ground. And it's that momentum that carries him. Not so much he's flying. He's so strong, then, he can, like, jump forever. Yeah. yeah. And then some nerd in one of the comic book storylines kind of explained, oh, no, it's his body's way to manipulate gravitational forces. I'm like, nah, he's just jumping off the ground and flying far. Yeah, that that makes no sense to me. I just always assumed he's <laughs> the whole jumping that's what hulk does hulk jumps and it looks like he's flying flying but superman flies i mean i don't i mean i i yeah. guess i don't oh so anyways brad your pick best film um that was based on an on a television show originally okay so conceit here i did not pick wayne's world because that is a <laughs> spinoff of an snl skit okay yes that would not work okay if there were a movie um, about saturday night live you could pick that one but you can't yes. pick a skit that's cheating. Yes. Okay. Okay. Um, I wanted to pick the X-Files movies, but they're not very good. Okay. Um, so I went with the 1987 animated direct to video um, G.I. Joe the movie based on oh. G.I. Joe uh, the cartoon from the early 80s. Um, <laughs> I love that. Um, actually... My son and I watched Transformers this morning. Troy, you would know because I text you yes. that the theme music absolutely slaps, and it does. That's some good um, parenting right there, man. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, the Cobra Law introduced in this one. It's uh, it's batty. Uh, Duke was supposed to die, but he was just in a coma. Comes out of a coma at the very end. Um, I, I Look, man, I'm not a rah-rah American guy, but you know the opening of G.I. Joe the movie is like this uh, – they're saving the Statue of Liberty, and it's really awesome. What do you think about the live-action versions? I don't like – well, okay. So back in the day when Charlie and I did our original podcast, oh, boy, whenever that was, I guess this, I guess they came out in 2000, maybe 10 – not 2009? 2009, I think. We did that, and I remember both of us recommending it and saying, I can't believe I'm recommending this movie, but – it's actually not that bad. The, f um, the first one or the second one? The first one. Okay. The first one. And then I went back and watched it again, and it's they're both of them are really bad, so I don't know why I recommended anyone see it. But um, the live-action ones, I think, are garbage. Um, the cartoon is great. Um, it's pretty hardcore. Like, it's a dark movie for to be kind of going for kids. So, um, yeah. That's a great That's pick. I, I mean, it has ninjas. It, it has it blue it has and red majors. Yeah. And I got to say... In terms of, and a guy it has a guy <laughs> named Snowjob in it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, uh. And uh, what was the sailor dude? Um, he was in there, right, with the talking parrot. Oh yeah, uh, shipwreck. 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 Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I I I didn't mind the films. The first one I don't think is that great, but the second one I actually think is pretty good. I and it's not because of the rock. But um, I think in the second one, they, they have a ninja sequence in there that's really yeah, good. Yeah, the mountain. 
The one on the mountain. Yeah, that reminds yep. me of one of the issues in the early Marvel comic series where there's just no dialogue whatsoever you know in the what comic. Is a, you know what is a better G.I. Joe movie than G.I. Joe? What's that? Is that Team America movie. <laughs> Team America World Police? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I want to I sing the theme song, but I don't think we can. This is a family show. <laughs> I don't know if it's a family show. but Have you heard some of the stuff that Troy has said? This is not a family show. Yeah, go back oh, to gosh. the Showgirls episode. That totally yeah, took I our did. family card yeah. out. I, yeah, I counted it. Um, <laughs> but you know, the best part of the GI Joe live actions, though, has to be Sienna Miller. Oh, and yeah, that's all fairness. I'm say. Yep. Oh, yeah, fairness. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. yeah. Yes, so. yes, hundred percent agree. Yep. So my pick, it's, it's just obvious. Um, yeah, and again, I was gonna pick something along these lines, but I knew Troy was gonna pick this one. So please, Troy, proceed. Okay, so I have a choice of either picking the 1996 version, the 2000, the 2006 version, maybe the 2011, or maybe the 2015, or I can go with 2018, because all of these films that came out each year were based on a TV show that I'd only seen a couple of times, but I gotta tell you, I absolutely adore and love the films, and it's none other than Mission Impossible. And oh. of course, it's, it's a Tom Cruise pick. And I'll tell you what, it's one of those films that as soon as the, the 2018 version came out that Christopher McQuarrie directed. Now, he directed that one in the 2015 one, Rogue Nation. But when that 2018 one came out, I, I got to tell you, Tom Cruise out Jackie Chan, Jackie Chan in terms of the modern <laughs> action film. And I was so impressed. But if you go back and look at all of those movies and the directors they've been able to attract, I mean, starting with Brian De Palma getting, you know, then going to John Woo, J.J. Abrams, Brad Bird, and then Christopher McQuarrie doing the last two, that franchise only gets better with each film. And I think if I had to pick my favorite out of all of them, it's it's got to be Mission Impossible Fallout um, from 2018. Yeah. I agree. That one agree. is just exhilarating. Yeah. And six thumbs up. Yeah, I I I've only caught the TV show a couple times. I thought it was okay. Um, I was more of a man from Uncle Wild Wild West if I if I were looking for like action oh. TV of that time period. But I got to tell you, the, the Mission Impossible films, and especially what Tom Cruise was doing at his age, and I caught a lot of flack. I remember this because when I walked out of that film in 2018. I, I publicly said, okay, Jackie Chan should probably hand over his mantle to Tom Cruise at that point for the stuff Tom Cruise is doing. And of course, look. Except running. Well, yeah, Watch except running. Oh, running. gosh. But oh, yeah. boy. I, I am I am the self-proclaimed greatest Jackie Chan film uh, or fan of all time. I celebrate his birthday every year, and I caught so much flack for that. But when you go back and look at Tom Cruise and what he was doing at his age versus what Jackie Chan was doing at the same age – it is a different quality of film. And I would, I, would, I would back that claim up. Nothing will ever beat, hands down, the stuff that Jackie did in the 80s, well, let me, the 70s, 80s, or 90s. There are three decades of movies that nobody ever, to this day, has ever come close to replicating. But I got to tell Don't you. Don't you think that Jackie put his body through way more stuff? Oh, he did. 70s, 80s? Yes. yes, absolutely. So he's paying for it now. He's paying for it now. But I think Tom Cruise is doing a hell of a job trying to catch up with him. So that was my pick. Um, Lord Zenu has definitely helped out Tom Cruise's body. So Yes. Yeah. And, di and didn't Tom Cruise pay homage to Jackie Chan in Fallout? Didn't he like break his foot doing his stuff? Oh, yeah. And then he just continued Kept going with a broken yeah, foot. Yeah, I think he broke his ankle or broke something. Broke his ankle something like on, on yeah. off of yeah. running and jumping. So there you go, Brad. Yes. Yeah. Um, so John, do you have any honorable mentions? Anything else that you were gonna put um kind of next to oh, the yeah. Adams family or 
yeah a couple couple was um i guess this was a show from the early 80s into another movie uh because my man denzel the equalizer oh good pick and another one that's kind of overlooked i'm not sure if you guys have ever seen it i'm sure you have um the saint with falcon yes is that based on a tv show yeah from uh, roger moore was the original saint yes okay yeah so those were some other, and you know, of course, I have to because I'm still a kid. Uh, Muppet movie was another one that I thought of. But yeah. <laughs> that would that was on what my mind too. <laughs> so no no Star Trek for anybody? Not anybody? for me, man. I don't know uh, Star Trek shows. I saw a little bit of Next Generation just because it was on TV when I was growing up, but you, I was never. I think Star I watched Trek Deep Space Nine more than any of the series, and I've seen episodes from each of the series, but I I enjoy the films more so than any of the TV series that I've seen. Okay. Yeah, I, I'm I'm a huge Star Trek nerd, so watch the original series. This is how bad I am. I I, I love the animated series. You guys should check that out. What the hell? There's yeah, an animated series. Star Trek animated series. Yep. Is it it's like the real awesome. Ghostbusters? No, it's actually uh, it's actually pretty well done. It, it really is. Um, but yeah, in, in terms of Star Trek uh, Star Trek movies, um, yeah, outside of Wrath of Khan, um, yeah. Others don't come close. Oh. What about you, Brad? What kind of, I don't know, runner-up picks were you going to have? I was going to try to throw in one that might possibly be on the show at some point in time. And I know it kind of did okay internationally, uh, but the Green Hornet. Oh, uh, yes. Good pick. Now, I yes. will say the Green Hornet sits at 45% of Rotten Tomatoes, so it does qualify to be on this show. And, um, you know, I, I think uh, – think i really like that movie and i i do like the tv show of course why wouldn't i not um so yeah i i think uh i think that's an honorable mention for me because i i wanted to throw something in that maybe listeners will be able to hear at some point in time on this podcast those are good picks what what's funny is so the two that i thought of you guys haven't mentioned the first one is the naked gun both of the or all those three films uh, based on uh, the uh police was it police squad from the files of police uh, squad police squad, the police yep. squad. Oh, i yeah. love the naked gun films and then the other one that i thought about was um the a-team i really liked what they did with the film in terms of the prequel uh really i, I did i i thought it was a lot of fun the tv Brian, show is so 80s and cheesy but when the film came out i i had a lot of fun with it so i i would put that in my honorable mention wow okay you're the guy who had fun with that movie good job well thank you were you drinking when you watched that movie because oh don't go there guy <laughs> <laughs> okay well tonight we're we're taking it back to the 60s and we're going to talk about the man from uncle from 2015 so quick pop quiz I, I'm going to ask Brad, What do you know what UNCLE stands for? Oh, you know, I l- looked at it because I, uh, it's like brrr, something network communication. Uh, wow. No, bad. Okay, John, I, you got, I know you know this, right? Oh, I did. Oh, <laughs> my God, guys. <laughs> Draw, uh, United, yes. United Nation. No. United Network uh, uh, Command for Law and Enforcement. Law and Enforcement. That's what yes. It is. So you were both kind of right with at least one word. <laughs> <laughs> so this, and I even looked it up. Yeah, I even looked it up. This, this, this is a film. If you think about it, I mean, Mission Impossible was based off of an older TV show, came out in '96, and obviously, 
um, around this time, actually the same year, Mission Impossible Rogue Nation came out. So by that point, you know, they had, what, five Mission Impossible films? And Paramount was was really printing money with Tom Cruise doing these, these stunt-laden Mission Impossible movies. Warner Brothers really wanted to get this franchise going. And so Man From U.N.C.L.E. was a big deal for Warner Brothers, and obviously it was a summer release. Now, Brad, when when we were originally talking almost a year ago, which is crazy to me that we've been doing this for almost a year, we got a few more more months to go, so you know a lot can happen between now and then. But when we were putting like the top ten movies that we eventually wanted to talk about that bombed, that we thought would make a good discussion, this was definitely on there. It was one of the ones that I picked. Yes, yeah, this was one that you put on the list. Early. Yes. Early, early. Super early. And for me, this is not my first time watch. Now, what's funny is I never saw it in the theaters. I only caught up with it on home media when I bought the Blu-ray. It's probably my 17th watch. I don't know. Um, John, I know you've seen it a couple times before, correct? That is correct. Okay. And Brad, uh, this is a first time watch for you, right? Yeah. So I, I had to... I had to go back and think because I mentioned to you last week that, Hey, I've seen parts of this movie, but I never saw it all the way through. And I was trying to think around the context because one of the things that I will do is if I start a movie, I'm going to finish it unless it's hot trash. And this obviously is not that, but I think it was on HBO and this is when we actually had cable. So you're kind of like (laughs) kind of coming into it like, Oh, I'm 25 minutes in this movie. And we have to go somewhere, so I'm just going to check it out for a minute and then go from there. And then I just never kind of got back around to seeing it again. It kind of left my mind. And then when you brought it up for doing this podcast, I'm like, well, we're going to do it eventually. So I'll just wait and see it, you know, to have that like initial first reaction. So because there were parts right after that initial chase. And I'm like, oh, I've seen this. I've seen this. Yep, yep, yep. And then there's a point where I'm like, yeah, I definitely haven't seen this yet. So. Um, I saw maybe 20 minutes. So it was weird, weird. Okay. Well, so this one definitely bombed. I mean, it it was a summer film, had a pretty sizable budget, didn't do so hot. So Brad, you are a numbers guy. You also kind of walk us through the critical response to it. But let's start with the box office. How did this sucker do? Yeah, so, okay. So when when people hear these numbers, they're going to say, but Brad, if that's more money than the budget, shut up. We'll get to why it bombed. Okay. <laughs> Um, this was released August uh, 14th of 2015. Um, the budget of this film is $75 million. It grosses domestically about $45.5 million internationally, another 62. So we're looking at roughly like 108. So yes, $108 million is greater than 75, but that is the production budget. So then you kind of have to say, well, how much does it cost to promote the film, market the film? They estimate uh, that this movie lost somewhere between 80 to $100 million. What? Um, That's crazy. Based off marketing and things like that. Whoa. So they marketed, but you got to think about it. You catch this on like uh, Mission Impossible, you know, this is going to be a big fit. So you're going to market this because it's from the 60s. It's not as popular as Mission Impossible. So you got to kind of push it and push it and push it. So they spent a lot of money on that. So we're looking at an $80 million loss on this movie. Um, if you actually look at the list of like, you know, 50 greatest, you know, films to lose money made from uncles on that list all the time. Wow. It's, and it's like high up there too. Wow. Um, and, and again, Brad, I think, I think the general rule of thumb, we've talked about this before. If you were to take the 
production budget and multiply it times two. Times two. That's yep. usually, not always, but that's usually the number it takes to just break even. And again, yes. that's not... And sometimes that multiplier is 2.5 and it's sometimes even three. Yeah, it, de it depends on what happens. And then the other thing is, if you think about movies in general, especially from a franchise perspective, they may make money back through ad placement within the film. You know, somebody's holding a Coke bottle or something of that nature or a toy line or something, you know, video game. So there's always opportunities within a franchise to make your money back based on other, I don't know, types of media that your your film itself is going to kind of seep into man from uncle did none of that i mean if you truly think about it when the studio released this thing a majority of their budget outside of the production really came down to the marketing and pushing that thing out and to brad's point if you look at sort of a list of studio bombs like top 50 this is one that's always on there um yep. so y'all want to take a guess at the opening weekend of man from uncle I, I couldn't even guess because when you talk about August, that's sort of the tail end of summer. So I'm uh -huh. uh, like, I'm super curious what movies came out about that same time. But okay. what, what's the opening? $13.4 million. Ooh. Big problem. Yeah. Because wow. what, a 50% drop means second week it's going to come in about six or seven million? Six. Yep. Yep. So wow. then you can just kind of start saying 50% every week after that. Um, so if you're starting at 13, your next you know week is six and a half. Ooh. Then you're looking at three and a half. That's you know, rough. Three, three and a yeah. half. So, yeah. Wow. Um, I, I will tell you, um, one of the big problems for this movie came out the month before. But we will get to that in just a second. Films that came out in August of 2015. Let's go on the Wayback Machine. You know, six whole years ago. Okay. <laughs> uh, we have another bomb that we are definitely not doing on this show. The Fantastic, or sorry, Fantastic Four. Wait, uh, oh. The Josh Trank. So it's the oh. fourth version of Fantastic Four. Yeah, fourth or... No, it's yes. fourth, because you got Roger Corman, then you got... Oh, yes. <laughs> then yes, you yes. got the Fantastic Four, then Fantastic Four, yeah. uh, Silver Surfer, then this one, right? Okay. Yep. Um, you have a, a small independent horror movie called The Invitation, which I really liked. It's, oh, that was a good one. It's kind of like... Um, oh, shoot. What was that one crap i'm just gonna move on because i don't remember what that one was called to compare it to <laughs> okay uh goosebumps uh the jack black film that was actually on... pretty good i enjoyed that yes, yeah it was yeah. actually pretty good um then we have straight out of compton all right that was oh, a huge hit which huge hit american so you have to think of so keep that in mind domestically straight out of compton is huge comes out the same weekend um then you have that movie turbo kid which I know got a limited release, but I wanted to bring it up because it's a great you know, film. It's it's a fun movie. Yes, um, American Ultra with um, <laughs> Jesse Eisenberg. Uh, Jesse Eisenberg. Jesse Eisenberg. Yes. Yep. 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 The second attempt to do a Hitman movie, Hitman Agent Forty Seven, the Zac Efron fronted DJ movie, We Are Your Friends, and that is it. August kind of sucked that oh. year. Yeah, that, I did. That, <laughs> yeah, I did. Yeah, there's another movie I, I wanted to call out. Uh, Deathgasm. Did anyone see Deathgasm? Yeah, that was the heavy metal oh, horror film, right? Yes. Yeah, yep, that was yep. that was an uh, independent film. That, it's it's fun. It's fun. Yeah. Okay, so let's go back and say the weekend that this movie comes out. What is the biggest opening film that weekend? It's straight out of Compton, right? With sixty million dollars. Huge. Yeah. Huge. Okay. 
the film that is probably going to be closest associated with this is still at the box office. And that is Mission Impossible Rogue Nation, which comes out the month before, which literally puts this movie out to pasture, right? Yeah. No chance with this, with Rogue Nation in the theater, this movie was going to bomb from the get-go. Well, it was going to bomb if you release it anywhere near it. Yes. Yes. And they decided to wait, you know, let's wait two to three weeks, you know. So to me, you know, Mission Impossible kind of peaked for me at three. And then I was like, eh. And then when uh, Rogue Nation came out, I kind of hopped back on and was like, oh, man, this is great. So I didn't see it until, like, word of mouth was like, this is one of the best action movies you're going to see. And I think that was kind of how it played out. Like, it just kind of kept going and going and going. Yeah. Yeah. So (laughs) Made from Uncle kind of was going to struggle from the the get-go. Yeah. Um, And I totally understand that. Plus, if you – if you think about the types of movies that were coming out there, I mean, Jason Bourne was still a franchise, right, at that time? Yeah, because they had – did they do the Bourne legacy around – because Renner was in Rogue Nation, right? Yeah, because yeah, yes. I think every studio was kind of trying to to find its yes. spy franchise. So yes. Paramount had Mission Impossible, Universal had Jason Bourne. Um, Warner Brothers was going after everybody with Man from Uncle, so uh, you you could you could definitely argue that from a public perspective, you you know, this was gonna have trouble finding any type of audience simply because I, I again like you said Tom Cruise is dominating the box office for that summer with that film, so you follow up Man from Uncle with that I, I just I I think people are gonna go nope I already saw my spy film for this year. Yep. move on right yeah so domestically you have straight out compton internationally you have rogue nation so it's not catching on either way okay right yeah right. okay so let's go to rotten tomatoes we have 291 um reviews on the old tomato meter for a 68 percent and then the audience score which i thought this was interesting this is the biggest audience score i've seen for a film we've done it just says 2500 plus reviews no, I'm sorry. 25,000. 25,000 plus reviews really? for 70, 73%. So, Troy, I know you're not a math guy, but that's roughly about 20,000 positive uh, audience reviews. I believe it. Yes. Wow. Listen to this consensus. I usually don't read these, but I thought this one was a little bit, I don't know, overly harsh. Okay. It says, Man from Uncle tries to distract from an unremarkable story with charismatic stars and fizzy set pieces adding up to an uneven action thriller with just enough style to overcome its lack of substance <laughs> i love that review yeah, i what? absolutely love that review it I, i'll i'll explain later why i love that review it it totally from so I, let's talk about reviews for a second i i, I want to digress so um today you want to know that really burns my britches? <laughs> no, I'm just, I'm just curious. When when you look at reviews, Rotten Tomatoes, et cetera, do you guys pay a lot of weight in that type of information? So when you see a score, an aggregate score that comes back and says, well, this movie's at 70% or this movie's at 30%, does it really sway, I, I guess, your purchase of a movie ticket or the home media or something of that nature? Nope, nope. Because everyone's entitled to their own opinion, and until I see it, I went out. You know, that's when I'll have mine. 
I'll either agree or disagree. Okay. What about you, Brad? So usually it might kind of influence the speed in which I see something. So if a film comes out and it's like a 95%, I'm like, oh, okay, that has to be seen. I have to see that right now. If it's 70%, it's like, okay, I'm definitely still going to see it, but you know, maybe I won't see it today, right this second. And then if it's like 30, it's like, okay, I'm, we'll just wait until I can just watch it on my couch and enjoy it in my own home. And I'm not making that big of an effort. So it's, it's kind of just like, if I'm interested in something, I'm going to see it, but it's just kind of like, it, where am I seeing it? What venue am I waiting for it to come on Netflix? Am I just going to buy it? Or am I going to see it in the theater? One of those, you know, it's just kind of the speed at which I see it. Yeah. I, I go back to the days of Siskel and Ebert and when film, movie or just film or movie reviewers were I don't know attached to a personality so if you followed somebody like Gene Siskel and you looked at his reviews you kind of got a vibe for what his taste was so if he if you were in line with his point of view on films and he likes something then you would be you know just rushing right out to see it because you go wow if, if he really enjoyed that film then there's maybe an 80% chance that you're going to like it. Or Siskel, you know, sometimes they would disagree. Same thing, if, if you were in line with him. And there are a few reviewers out there that the minute I, I look at their work, and one of one of the ones that we know, Brad, Mike McGranahan, so he, he wrote that book, you know, um, that we gave away about Chevy Chase. But he does a site called The ILC, ILC.com. Definitely check it out. He's one of the guys that when I read the reviews that he writes about films and and he's been doing this for a long time i'm about 85 percent in his corner so i i put a lot of faith in probably his opinion of films so if he if he comes out and says hey i like something and i'm going to give it three stars or four stars or something of that nature i'm definitely going to run out there and see it but i'm telling you these variety reviews or boston you know globe or whatever it is that come from a newspaper i really could give a shit about any of that stuff because they go through so many different writers and especially in this day and age i mean my goodness we're doing a film podcast at the end of the day i i, I totally understand where somebody would say well troy really likes this film and um you know half of the stuff that troy likes i think is garbage awesome i mean <laughs> at the end of the day if i like something that should be an indicator I agree. yeah that should yeah. be an indicator you should stay away from it um but i that's the thing i don't really like about rotten tomato tomatoes tomatoes or aggregate who's the yankee now yeah jerk? or the <laughs> aggregate like websites is yeah you're 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 taking all these reviews, you're putting them into a math blender and it's coming up and like, well, the percentage on this is X. And so there you're wiping your ass with the context too. You're just saying there's no context of this review. Here's just, did the person like it? Yes or no. Yeah. Cause sometimes someone's like, Hey, I hate horror movies, but I had to review this movie. So, you know, I mean, they shouldn't do that, but, that does happen. And it's like, yeah, I, they were never going to like this movie in the first place. Yeah, it makes yeah, for, so it makes for lazy it. criticism. Yeah, I think you're exactly right. And if you think about it today, like I said, I, I trust fans and, and, and fan reviews more the more so than I do these professionals. I mean, well, hold on, um, <laughs> dude, we're getting the fucking Snyder cut because of fans. Yeah, so I just want to stop that. But so, but some so fans just... de depends on the it depends on the genre and it depends on the franchise because some fans okay, are I, just. I will give you that. Yeah, <laughs> I will give you that. But what I'm saying yeah. is like, these do Star Wars fans even like Star Wars anymore? No, they don't. <laughs> I, I don't even want to get into that unless we really want to get into that. But um, you know, 
Mortal Kombat, the new trailer for the new movie just dropped, and, and this professional critic said, you know, they're excited to see it, but where is Chun Li? Oh yeah, we just I'm like, we talked about I talked that. about that last yeah. week. John. Did you? This did you? Makes okay. no sense, man. So so these what these what? Okay, Rant thanks off. for listening to the podcast, John. Jeez. Yes. He's a week behind. No, I just I, I, I'm a week behind. A, a great example is that that Tom and Jerry trailer came out like I don't know how many months ago, and I looked at that and I'm like, that looks terrible. And I love Tom and Jerry. I love just traditional cat and mouse violence. I think it's hilarious. So that trailer jo- drops, and I'm like, oh man, I I really like the old Tom and Jerry cartoons. This movie looks terrible. But then Mike writes in the aisle seat and gives it like three out of four stars, and goes, hey, it's it's surprisingly pretty good. So the kids and I go catch it today, and I had a lot of fun with it. So again, and you get Tribe Called Quest three seconds into that. Yeah, movie. it has a great. I mean, what? whoever did the yeah, soundtrack for it, it, it's right so good. Yeah. Yep. So oh, nice. I, I got to say, there were so many times that I actually laughed out loud during that film at some stupid, again, cat and mouse violence. Um, and and it's a fun film. But uh, I, I, that's the thing I don't like about the Rotten Tomatoes, the, the Metacritic and everything else is go, go find the people that are in line with you in terms of a movie opinion or somebody that you know, okay, I totally disagree with them, and then just go watch the stuff that they don't like. I mean, you, do your research. Yeah. But okay, well, I'm sorry. I'm going to watch Tom and Jerry now, so that's awesome. I, it was fun. Are you off your pulpit now? I'm off my pulpit. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> it's just, but it, it's just funny man from uncle is one of those things that everybody i talk to and this movie comes up and again <laughs> the box office doesn't surprise me because when i ask people did you see that in the theater they're like no i just i caught it on hbo or i caught it you know renting or i bought the blu-ray because it was five bucks and some ben and the minute everybody discovers it they they really like it um i will say a lot of people don't love it um but What's funny is it's one of those films that I find people um, talk about and say they rewatch it quite a bit. So we'll get into that in terms of thoughts of film. But what else, Brad? Anything else from the critical reception? No. So we, we talked about Rogue Nation, um, and I just wanted to hammer home. Rogue Nation made $682 million that year. That's crazy. So that's why Made From Uncle made 100 Ooh. Okay? Yeah. It's to- totally makes sense. You're only going to see one spy movie. And everybody went to see there's Rogue Nation. Enough, I did. Yeah, there's I, not enough lanes. There's not enough lanes. I, I agree. I agree. Okay, so that is the box office that are, I mean, we really kind of talked about the critical reception of it. So let's talk about the people who made the film, worked behind the camera, and the people who were in front of the camera. So let's start with Guy Ritchie. So I was super excited to bring up Man from Uncle because it gives us a chance to talk about this director. Um, I'm going to start with you, John. Guy Ritchie. What What are your initial thoughts on him? He's He's had a pretty eclectic film career. Yeah, he has. Um, he's He's really hit or miss with me. I mean, there's There's a lot of his work that he put out that I, I really love. Um, and then there's just other stuff. I I think he fell really short. <clears throat> Excuse me. Loved um, Rock and Roller. Loved Sherlock Holmes. Lock, stock, two smoking barrels. Definitely. Um, truly loved swept away um i'm just kidding really yeah no okay no, no but then when man from uncle came out this to me i mean okay so lock stock and two smoking barrels was probably his best movie i think but i think man from uncle really 
really let his creative um, vision really, really shine. I mean, he he really put it all together on all on all fronts for me with this movie. Only to be sucked away by the next two movies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we won't go there. <laughs> so, Brad, what about we're, you? We're going there, John. Oh, uh, right. So, Lockstock came out in 1998. I was a 15-year-old adolescent boy, which, when I saw that movie, I thought it was one of the greatest things I've ever seen. Right? <laughs> Only to be then topped by Snatch, because I was 17 and thought I was so cool because I was watching Snatch. Uh, those two, you know, kids my age... Um, who were in high school-ish time when those two movies came out, you had the poster on your, you know, when you're going to college, you had a Snatch poster in your door. Can I can okay. I talk to you about Snatch? For, so I want to share yeah. one of my favorite stories uh, with my dad. So did you think did you think Wu Tang had a song about Snatch? <laughs> no, no, it wasn't like that. Okay. So it was yeah, 1998. We we were yes yes it was. I was living in Jasper and uh, my. Jasper, Indiana. Jasper, Indiana. So it's what, Brad? Uh, about an hour fifteen from Louisville. Uh, yes, it's about yep. right. Okay, so we're living yeah, 75 in seventy-five miles. Yeah, so we're living in Jasper. My my dad comes with the idea. He goes, "Hey, let's go to Louisville and let's catch a couple of films." And I'm like, "Absolutely." Now this is when winter is upon us, right? So we get up in the morning, we drive to Louisville from Jasper, and the first movie we catch is The Gift. So you remember that one? I think it was Sam Raimi, Keanu Reeves was in it. So was that the one with Natalie Portman? No, uh, uh, I can't remember her name. I just what was the girl from with uh, from Dawson's Creek? She was then married. Katie to, Holmes. Uh, Katie Holmes. Katie Holmes is in that movie. Okay, so we watched The Gift and it's pretty good. So we come out of that that theater and then we go, well, let's catch something else. And so Snatch is playing, so we go watch Snatch. And my goodness, like like you, Brad, I'm like, this is a fantastic film. I, I had not seen Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels at that time. Snatch was my first Guy Ritchie film. So I'm like, who is this guy? It's absolutely fantastic. So then the snow is coming down because we hear that, like, this blizzard's coming. Um, it's, you know, 7 o'clock at night. We're like, well, hold on a second. Maybe we can just squeeze one more movie in before we have to drive, like, an hour and 15, hour and a half back to Jasper. So then we go and see Oh, Brother, Where Art Thou? Oh. So that day, we see the gift, snatch, oh, brother, without. And I mean, it's one of the best movie days I had with my father. We come out at like 11.30, close to midnight. All the roads are closed. It, it's just pouring down snow. We get on 64, trying to get back to Jasper, to the point where they, the plows aren't even working. We have, we get stranded in Cordon, Indiana, and and have to stay the night there. But snatch always reminds me of like one of my, my favorite, I don't know, movie days with my father and and. I love that film. Absolutely love it. What's the piece of trivia about Corden, Indiana, Troy? Do you know it? No, probably not. First capital of Indiana. Oh, there you go. Has a Saturday. huge Walmart. I know that. Yes, it does. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Okay. Go ahead. Yes, Snatch. So, but I will say that Revolver is one of my least favorite movies uh, of all time. Is that the Jason uh, Statham I, one, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yes. I hate Revolver almost more than anything else. Um, and I, my, I went over to a buddy's house and we watched Rock and Rolla and I thought that movie was just fine if I was being nice. Um, I like the two Sherlock Holmes movies quite a bit. Um, you know, I think that's more of a Robert Downey thing than the movies are actually pretty good. I just think, you know, he's kind of fun to watch. Doolittle not... Uh, is the exception to that rule, honestly. <laughs> oh, oh, um, did you watch that Doolittle movie? No. Please, I, I tried. Uh, okay. Please say no. 
because it, it was on you know it's on demand somewhere right. or i think it's on hbo max maybe then i saw king arthur and oh. that movie is a snorefest and then i saw aladdin and everything they that was great about the cartoon they decided to throw out the window right. so right. i have not seen the gentleman because i have little faith that i'm gonna like that um so he is very polarizing to me. I either love his movies or I think I actually like despise the, the latter stuff that I don't like, you know, the, the revolvers and the rock and rollers and the King Arthur legend of the sword in Aladdin. Yeah. Boy, that Aladdin movie is like two hours and 15 minutes or some garbage like that. I, I've not <laughs> seen the Aladdin film. I, I saw King Arthur. It, it's funny. I'm kind of with you guys. Guy Ritchie, when he is firing on all cylinders, I think he's one of the best directors out there. And I almost feel like he makes two types of films. He makes the commercial Hollywood type film, and then he makes the gangster film. So when he he typically does the gangster film, he's he's usually doing a good product. So if you look at um, Lockstock, Snatch, The Gentleman is actually really good. I just caught that recently and had a blast with it. I, I was... I was kind of it. It was so good it made me almost want to go back and say, "Well, would Aladdin be any good?" But haven't haven't seen it at all. Yeah, but even Spare yourself. Yeah, even the ones like Revolver, King Arthur. I don't know if they're terrible. If that they're just more average, and like you said, Brad, they're a bit of a snooze snooze fest. I think is is pretty accurate to where I don't think even when he misses, he's a bad filmmaker. He just becomes like a average filmmaker. Uh, and swept away. I've never seen it, but it did <laughs> Golden Raspberry Award for Worst Director, and it was also nominated for um, Worst Screenplay. But he did win an award as Worst Director for Swept Away. Yeah. So he's usually a writer on all of his movies, except for I want to say the Sherlock Holmes movies, right? He did yeah, not. Yeah, he, he did not write those. No. Yeah, okay. and yeah. and so that's a great segue. So in this one, the screenplay was done by Guy Ritchie and Lionel Wigram. This always worries me a little bit, but the story is done by four people. So it's Jeff Kleeman, David C. Wilson, Guy Ritchie, and Lionel Wigram. Now, John, I know you know this, but Brad, I didn't I didn't know if if you knew the background. So this movie is based on the Man from Uncle television series by Sam Rolfe and Norman Felton. Now the TV series was partially developed by Ian Fleming, the creator of James Bond. And Napoleon Solo had started out as a character in Fleming's novel, Goldfinger. And homage yep. in this film, Alexander Waverley, who is played by Hugh Grant, is a commander in the British Naval Intelligence, which is the same rank that James Bond holds within that canon. This, when you say that out loud, like I did see that, this is very James Bondy. It it is it ha it has a significant difference to it and and here's the thing when you say James Bondy, I do think it it is specifically calling out to maybe the Roger Moore style yes. James yeah. Bond than yep. anything. Yep. So keep that in mind. And I'm gonna uh, before we get too deep into this, um, Brad, have you ever seen any of the original television series? I'm not. Okay, how about you, John? Um, I barely remember. I did watch them, but I barely remember them. Okay. This, this was one that I used to watch kind of growing up. So I, I grew up being a big James Bond fan, and especially in you know the late 70s, 80s, you had Roger Moore, and then um, 
if you wanted to get your Roger Moore, James Bond fix, I mean, watching the man from uncle and syndication was the way to do it. And even a show like wild, wild west. That's why I liked those two shows growing up was they did give me that James Bond vibe. Um, but we're going to talk about that because I had a chance to go back and watch some of the television episodes that were reformatted as films for the European market. So I want to talk about that when we are done talking about like this version of the film. A couple of others that I want to mention that were behind the camera. Music by Daniel Pemberton. We will talk in depth about Daniel Pemberton and the score to this film because it is so much fun. Um, cinematography by John Matheson. John Matheson was nominated for Academy Award for Best Cinematography in 2000 for the film Gladiator. He's worked with Ridley Scott a couple of times. He also worked on Hannibal in 2001 and Kingdom of Heaven in 2005. He's also worked on films like X-Men First Class in 2011. He did work with Richie on 2017's King Arthur, Legend of the Sword. He's also worked on uh, Same Year Logan in 2017. God. Yeah. Could you imagine going from King Arthur to Logan? I like, know. <laughs> um, and, and this is interesting. Coming up in 2022, he is slated on his credits to be working on Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. So from a, from a cinematography standpoint, this guy's got some credentials. Does he have a history with man. Sam Raimi at all? Does he have a history with I, Sam I don't, Raimi? Uh, I don't remember seeing that. I was just kind of going okay. through the credits, and, and these were the titles that jumped out to me. Okay. Because again, I, I think there's some masterful cinematography going on within this film. And it makes sense when you look at like Gladiator um, or Logan and um, I mean, Kingdom of Heaven. I don't know what you guys think about that film. I, I really enjoy that one as well from Ridley one. Scott. Director's Cut. Gotta watch the Director's Cut. You, you do cut. have to watch the Director's Cut. I agree with you 100%. Yes. Um, the film was edited by James Herbert. Again, I want to talk about the cinematography and editing when we get to sort of our thoughts on the film. Um, but those are some of the major players behind the camera that I wanted to bring up because I think it's really important when you talk about the style of this film and what Guy Ritchie was going for. So that's that's the people that were doing their thing behind the camera, bringing this sucker to life. So let's talk about the people in front of the camera. Now, Brad, you mentioned Rogue Nation being sort of the Achilles heel for why this thing really just didn't take off. I, sir, would also like to point out that the people in front of this camera had a little bit of a history of producing some bombs, which obviously didn't help in terms of box office draw, right? So let's start with Napoleon Solo himself, Henry Cavill. Uh, guys, what, what are your thoughts wait, on wait. Henry? How, how, do you say his, how do you say his last Cavill, name? Cavill? Cavill? It's Cavill. Cavill? Cavill. 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 Henry Cavill. Yes. Good. All right. Yes. Cool. Oh, goodness gracious. All right. Hey, dude, we, we've established like not. 30 episodes ago. Me Put a and, dollar in the jar. Yeah, so forget <laughs> about it. Um, Henry Cavill. Thoughts. Go, Brad. I like Henry Cavill a lot. Um, I'm kind of... His Superman is okay, and I never think that it's his fault that his Superman is okay. I think he is a good Superman. I think his Superman is written very poorly. I think his role in Mission Impossible Fallout is amazing. He gets in a fight with Tom Cruise in a bathroom and cocks his arms when he starts fighting. Oh, yeah. It is amazing. Yeah. Um, you know, I went back and looked at some of his stuff he did way in the past. Like, I like Stardust a lot. He plays kind of a smaller role in that. You know, I don't think I saw 
Blood Creek, but I might go back and see that. Again, I, you know, good for him because I'm sure he's getting paid for being Superman, but I feel like he's being wasted. So Well, he's, he's not being paid for Superman anymore. He got booted. Yeah. 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 So, so John, what 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 are your thoughts on Henry? Yeah, like like I'm a huge fan of Henry Cavill. Um, ever since I saw him, and this is the thing, he really has not aged. His his just his proportionality, his musculature is just the only thing that's really changed. So like, if you have ever seen the uh, Count of Monte Cristo, he was oh, Albert. Yeah. Yes. He was Albert. He was young. That's Albert. right. He was like yeah, he, he looks exactly the same through it through Immortals. He was really skinny in Immortals. Um, Mana still came out. I loved. Like Brad says, I, I love Henry as 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 Clark Kent as the Man of Steel, and yeah, it was it was a little bit disappointing the whole movie, but I I still dug it. Yeah, it's a shame what Warner Brothers is really doing um, with the new Superman movie coming out. That could be a discussion for when that movie bombs. <laughs> um, but the the biggest thing that I I am hugely impressed with and and just totally jealous of henry is that he once dated gina carano oh okay <laughs> so i i also want to go back the witcher series that he is in is actually very very good i, oh. I like this witcher a lot i like the witcher quite a bit so but i think um, too I, I don't know if you would agree or disagree but i, I like you i think he's a little bit wasted there uh, in terms of some of the writing has to pick up to really really expand on that witcher witcher series yeah and i think the whole first season was a lot of setup so hopefully they kind of put their pedal to the metal yep. a little bit for the second so yep. we'll see but I, I did want to bring that up that I, I do like that series quite a bit yeah so. and if I and if I may I, I just want to circle back again since we talked about Warner Brothers and I, I think this goes back to one of the original points talked about with marketing Warner Brothers if I'm not if I'm unless I'm mistaken um, Man of Steel had came out the year before Man of from Uncle and two years two years two years, two years. Two years. yep yep but Henry Cavill was still big in the Warner Brothers studio and I think they were banking on his presence in the film really doing well without really understanding you know what they were really getting into yeah but can we talk about how dreamy he is too well he's he's all he's all shoulders he's all shoulders when you see someone like that though and like you know you might look past in the mirror one day be like oh you know like yeah yeah but like what does Henry Cavill look like when he just like yeah. Well, like he is. If you go back and look at his filmography, man. I am not a man. <laughs> so, The Count of Monte Cristo, I totally forgot he was in that from 2002, but I also totally forgot in 2005 he was in Hellraiser Hellworld. He did a Hellraiser oh, film. Oh, that's right. He did. And that that totally blew my mind. Stardust in 2007, which we will talk about. That that is another underappreciated film. When you get to Man of Steel, I always thought I agree with you. I liked him as Superman. I really didn't like Man of Steel. I was not a huge fan of the film, but I kind of liked him as an actor. But I think Man of Steel, there wasn't a whole universal love about that film. And it did well, but I don't think it did the numbers that everybody wanted it to. And it didn't sort of get the traction that everybody was thinking. Because if you think about Christopher Reeves and when Superman 1 and 2 came out you know, back in the day... There's this universal love for those films and his performance. I think Henry Cavill, Cavill, Cavill. Cavill Here we go. Old Henry. Um, <laughs> I got some Polaroid, polar, Polaroid, polarized reviews about his performance within that franchise. Then he does Man from Uncle, and he follows that up the next year with 
Batman versus Superman, Dawn of Justice, also known as Orphan Fight, which is not a very good film. Uh, Martha Fight? M- Orphan Fight. It's not Martha Fight, it's Orphan Fight. Um, Justice League 2017, which I think we've talked about. The, the two films that I really find Henry's potential to just be through the roof always comes down to the film we're going to talk about tonight and then Mission Impossible Fallout in 2018. Those are his highlights. He is because he cocks his arms to fight, yeah. right? Well, no, he he's just so good. He's so menacing, and you—I mean, if, it's not that Tom Cruise is doing all these, these these dangerous stunts that make that film so thrilling. It's the fact that he actually has a a nemesis in Henry. Like you fear for him when they're fighting on the ledge. Like I, what, the first time I saw it, I'm like, dude, he he can't win. He just can't yeah. win. There's no way you're gonna go toe to toe with Henry on the edge of a cliff, no matter you know what just happened. He's just gonna throw you around and then throw you off that cliff. I mean, did you all did you all play the Resident Evil two yes. video game? Yeah, yeah. So like when the nemesis comes and like is stalking. Yeah. Yeah. That is Henry Cavill and in, in or uh, no, that's Mr. X. Nemesis is the third one, but Mr. X is coming. And stalking the and stalking you in the mansion yep. or the police station and yeah and that's what's that's so funny again if you ever seen Henry in, in Immortals and you're like wow he is he's not but then you see how just how massive he gets in Man of Steel and then yeah when he literally locks and loads in Fallout it's like wow yeah and that, so that, what, that's the problem what is immortal what is Immortals am I stupid uh, do I not know what Immortals is no it was I, it was a terrible movie. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I'm sorry. That's a little, little harsh. It, it wasn't was, terrible. It was just, it was mad. It, it had. A, I have. I am someone who knows movies, and I have never heard of Immortals. Okay, well, well, that's your homework. Yeah, there's the yeah. internet, dude. Yeah, <laughs> check it out. But here, here's the thing. I think Henry. Uh, I hear people talk about he can't act or he's not very good. I don't think that's the case. No. I think he makes bad choices for films, or the screenplays that are given to him aren't very good. But again, if you look at some of his choices between the Count of Monte Cristo, uh, Stardust, Man from Uncle, Mission Impossible, I haven't seen The Witcher. I haven't seen the one that came out uh, last year, Enola Holmes. But I, I mean, I'll say this when he gets a hold of something that has some meat to it, I actually think he's a good actor. And yeah, it, The Man of Steel is written by David Goyer. You're not going to get a great screenplay yeah. if your movie is written by David yeah. Goyer. No, I agree. I'm sorry. And I so, will say, Henry, to your point, um, um, Troy, yeah. Yep. In Enola, if the character, if he has a good writer that really develops a character for Henry, his his, his acting does come out, and he really, to me, was a, a really good version of Sherlock Holmes in Enola Holmes. So, oh, okay. Yeah, definitely I'll definitely check it, check it out. It was, it was right. good. So that brings us to Army Hammer. Um, let's not bring oh, up what's geez. good. Right. Yeah. What? Yes. Yes. Can we hit a? Can we do a sidebar here? Are, are we really gonna go there? Yeah. Sidebar. Oh God. We are gonna talk about. Army Hammer as an actor, yes. not as a human being. Okay, that's fine. I don't know what's I'm going good. on with him because it is weird. At the worst, he's a cannibal. In a, dude, why, a you just said it, dude. Don't say but that. Not, okay. He's going so through a divorce. He's got some bad stuff going on. Strictly talking about him as an actor, not as a person. Yeah, let's continue. Look, hey, that stuff is just going to the side of it, all right? Cause, because we missed, like, you were on the Josh Whedon thing. You I know, told you. Almost, I told you. almost did. I we told you. did Haywire. So it's like, hey, let's just talk about people in their profession, and that's it. Yeah, well, I told you about Joss Whedon, and then all of a sudden it yeah, broke. So anyways, um, <laughs> <laughs> Army Hammer is Ilya. Uh, so here's another thing that wasn't helping the man from UNCLE. I, I'm always curious about the films 
that some of these actors were doing leading up to the film that we talk about that bombed. And obviously, you talk about a big studio bomb. We've got 2013's The Lone Ranger. So Army does one that one. One of the one. biggest. One of the biggest. One of the biggest bombs. Then he does The Man from Uncle. And Brad, we've got to talk about this film. I'm actually adding it to the list. So in 2016, he does Free Fire. Now, I've talked about this film before. Yes. And we're we're definitely going to talk about it more in depth, but it's such a fun film, and he's so good in it as well. And I was hoping you were going to say Nocturnal Animals, but you said Free Fire, but that's okay. Yeah, <laughs> Nocturnal, I, it was Free Fire. I it it's it's so good, it's so memorable. Nocturnal Animals is good as well. Army has really, I think, come to his own in terms from an acting perspective because he started to get a little traction from 2017's Call Me by Your Name. Um, and I think this is on our list too, 2018, Sorry to Bother You. He has a fantastic cameo in that. Um, it's not a cameo. Well, he's the boss. Well, he's in there for a while. Okay, he's in there for a while. And then 2020's Rebecca, which I haven't seen yet. But um, what, do, what are your thoughts on Army? I, I actually do enjoy him quite a bit. Um, even in The Lone Ranger, I, I think it's misguided, but he's good in it. And, and again, 2016's Free Fire, I mean, between 2015's Man from Uncle and Free Fire, it, to me, Army is putting some great performances out there on screen. But what Dude, about you, Brad? He, was, he played two guys in a movie. He was the Winklevoss twins in Social Network. Yes. I mean, that was an amazing performance. It was so good. I will have to shout out. So, I have a four-year-old son. Cars plays a big, big part. Of the, <laughs> he, he was in the, the Cars franchise, Cars. yes. He is Jackson Storm. He's actually not bad. You know, it's it's you know a minimal performance, but it's not bad. Hey, Cars three's not bad. Cars two, it's atrocious. Cars two's horrible, <laughs> man. Oh my god. But no, I think I mean, Call Me by Your Name is like a beautiful film. It it's is really really good. It is. Uh, I I don't cry during movies, but that one almost got me. Um, and then Sorry to Bother You, I think he's great in. Um, and then I haven't seen some of the more recent stuff. So, I, I, look, as an actor, I like Army Hammer. Okay, you stop. Stop talking. Go ahead, because <laughs> I don't want you to go and delve into the other stuff. John, what do you think about Army? Um, so, Army, I, I actually enjoyed his rendition of the Lone Ranger. Um, the movie was, yeah, it was it was pretty bad, um, a little misguided, but I thought he did well bringing, bringing the Ranger out. Um, loved him as um, Ilya Kyrkin. Um in Man from Uncle, and honestly, I haven't seen anything since. And after finding out what's been recently revealed, I'm I, I have to. Um, I, I wonder if part of his performance in Man of uh, Man from Uncle was just him being himself, honestly. <laughs> and you know, a little bit uh, of underlying I, psychosis there. Uh, you know, it's it's yeah. So yeah. Okay, well, those those are our, our two male leads. And the interesting thing about a movie called The Man from Uncle, and same thing with the TV series, it's really about the partnership the team? between you know Solo and Ilya. But in this film, you also get Gabby, played by Alicia uh, Vikander. Vikander. Okay, mm -hmm. so I only knew her from two films, um, specifically Ex Machina in 2014, which is flat out amazing, and Tomb Raider in 2018. And when you look at her filmography leading up to The Man from Uncle, again, it's somebody that's going to show up in front of the camera and it's not going to bring in the audience because Ex Machina, I mean, critically, I think a lot of people loved it. Um, that same year she did Seventh Son, which was sort of a medieval dragon movie with Jeff Bridges. Didn't really do it's much. Not that bad. It's it, not and that it's bad. it's good. It's not, I've it's seen not it. That bad. Yeah. 
Man from Uncle. I, I think so. Man from Uncle in 2015. She did Jason Bourne in 2016. Then obviously Tomb Raider in 2018. Uh, the Danish girl. She's really good in the Danish girl. Yeah. So she's she's not incredibly <laughs> okay. Thanks. No, yeah. she's she's good. Skip I mean, on over. Yeah. she's she's one of those that I don't think has hit critical mass in terms of box office. I think everybody was expecting some big stuff from Tomb Raider. Didn't. Well, to be fair, Ex Machina. She's playing a robot essentially. It right. Really, kind of hard to pick out. It's Alicia Vikander in that. So her most probably prominent role is is Tomb Raider, but her best role is probably Ex Machina. But she's a robot, and it's kind of hard to pinpoint that that's her. Agreed. So right. I think what you're going to say next is, your three leads in this movie leading up to Made from Uncle is they didn't have a huge draw, right? A- absolutely. I mean, if, yeah. if you're talking about Guy Ritchie as a director, I don't think a ton of people, unless it's a gangster film, let, let me put that out there, unless it's a gangster film, I don't think a ton of people are going to go to the movies and go, I want to go see you know, the next Guy Ritchie film. So it comes down to who you put in front of the camera. And for a uh, August box office summer draw, you've got um, Henry, Army, and Alicia, and none of them are doing anything of significance. And Army specifically is coming off of a huge bomb for Walt Disney. So I with Mission Impossible out there, with these three in front of the camera, this thing was just not set up for success for August. Now, I would contend you put this in an off cycle, so that's the fall or spring. I think it would have gotten more of an audience, but to place it in August, like you said, Brad, a month after Rogue Nation, um, and then also having these three people in front of the camera, you weren't really going to get much of a box office at all. And then Rounding out the cast, we have Elizabeth Debicki as Victoria, or I like to refer to her as a spot-on young Jill Ireland. So you guys know who Jill Ireland is, right? Yes. Okay, John, Jill Ireland. I'm looking at Brad's face. He's like, who? Who? Yeah, wasn't that um, um, the original? Oh, gosh, what's his name? Uh, David McCallum. He was the original Ilya. Uh, didn't he marry her? Yes, he did. And yes, then- he did. Jill Ireland went and found another husband, a famous husband, uh, Charles Bronson. And yes. so they were married up in... Blamo! Yeah, they, they were they were married up until her death, and, and they were sort of a... I don't know if you call it a Hollywood power couple, but um, they made 15 movies together. And if if you go back and look at Jill Ireland because she actually was in some episodes of the man from uncle and you see a young Jill Ireland and you look at Elizabeth it they look like twins i mean it's pretty fantastic that yeah, they that put is, that together wow. um and and she plays our villain along with um Luca Calvani as Alexander and then again some other people in the cast here that we'll talk about as uncle Rudy we have Sylvester Groth Hugh Grant, which I'm sure everybody knows who Hugh Grant is for weddings and funerals, stuff like that, as Waverly, and Jared Harris as Sanders. So that's all the people in front of the camera. This one has a pretty interesting, I don't know, development history. So they option. Can we play our game? Can we play our game? Are you ready? Yeah, we're ready. Okay, so <laughs> before we play the game, the optioned, uh, John Davis optioned the film rights to to the 1960s TV series in 1993. So 1993, Warner Brothers gets this thing, and they're really starting to set it up in terms of development deal, right? And um, go ahead. Let's play the game. What famous director was attached to this thing at one point? Mr. Quentin Tarantino, after the success of Pulp Fiction, 
was attached briefly, but he opted to make a better movie called Jackie Brown. That's right. Oh. So, yeah. <laughs> and it's interesting because if you go back and look, 1993 to basically 2015, this thing is trying to find um, directors, stars, and everything else. And, and it's got a pretty interesting list. So Quentin Tarantino is one name that pops up. You also have, let me see here, Matthew Vaughn. Steven yeah. Soderbergh was attached to direct. Soderbergh? Um, wow. Yes. At some what point. What kind of filter would he have on the lens for, <laughs> for this movie? Would yeah. yellow-like traffic or whatever? I don't know. So Guy Ritchie finally signs on um, in March of 2013. So it goes about 10 years of them going back and forth with all these directors and screenplays. Guy Ritchie comes on. And what's funny is so that's all the shenanigans that are going on behind, you know, the the screens with Warner Brothers um, or behind the scenes. But in front of, in front of the camera um, in 2010, George Clooney short in, showed interest in the film as and was in talks for the Napoleon solo role. I've Here's the other people that they were looking at after George Baffling Clooney. Yeah. George Clooney leaves. And so they start chasing these other people. Joseph Gordon-Levitt, Ryan Gosling, Channing Tatum, Edwin, Ewan, Edwin McGregor, <laughs> Robert Pattinson, Matt Damon, Christian Bale, Michael Fassbender, Bradley Cooper, Leonardo DiCaprio, Joel Kinnaman, Russell Crowe, Chris Pine, Ryan Reynolds. This last one actually makes sense to me. John Hamm. So they were all considered for the Napoleon solo role. It would have been weird to see... Michael Fassbender in this movie because I believe he and Alicia Vikander are married. That's I don't right. Know yeah. At the time they were married, but that would have been kind of weird. Yeah, and and this is the most interesting part of it. So in 2013, so it's a couple of years even before the film comes out. So Guy Ritchie's on. Um, Tom Cruise is in early talks to take on the lead. Um, Army Hammer was cast um, in 2013 as Ilya, with Cruise being the Napoleon solo role. And finally, everybody kind of ends up leaving. Tom Cruise goes off to do Mission Impossible Rogue Nation. And so Henry steps in to replace Tom Cruise. And now we're left with um, Henry and Army and Alicia being in front of the camera for 2015's The Man from Uncle. Such an interesting, interesting development leading up to this film. But now we get to talk about the film itself. So that's like. Well, Rose Byrne was also attached to play the. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Rose Byrne. That's right. Yeah. So this is just like a who's who in Hollywood. And Warner Brothers clearly was chasing after, you know, their own spy franchise. Um, They wanted to they wanted to copy the Mission Impossible. Obviously, they wanted to get something that would go, you know, to contend with Jason Bourne or James Bond and everything that was out there. And finally, we get 2015's The Man from Uncle. So. John, I want to start with you. Before we get into details, I'm really curious. Now, you've seen this a couple of times. We asked you this week to sit down and watch it again. What What are your thoughts on this one? I, it, again, for a Guy Ritchie film, this was one that when I initially saw it, had serious reservations about it. Um, but when I was done watching it, I was very thrilled that I had watched it because it was a very enjoyable, entertaining movie. And having watched it, three times this week um it, it was just as good as, <laughs> just as good as the first time i mean Wait, t- don't don't gloss over you watch this movie three times yeah it was just that good it, to me it was that good i mean if you take again guy Ritchie from what he's done and and allowing some of his creative ideas to really flow i mean just take the opening title sequences right 
it's a it's a red line that does not break. It continuously flows, and and a lot of the story is being fleshed out within that red line as it's doing the credits. Haven't really seen that quite often, and it was really good. Um, Henry Cavill's portrayal, um, even though Robert Vaughn's portrayal, he was the original Napoleon in the TV series. Um, Robert Vaughn, his his manner, his his presence on screen, I think Henry really captured that a lot in, in just his mannerisms and the way he talked. Ilya, I think, deviated to be, you know, the, the Russian. But overall, again, I'd laughed. Um, there were scenes I just, I was, I, there were things I picked up again that I just didn't miss the first time. And just overall, visually, story, characters, I, I really, really enjoyed this movie. Three times, that is awesome. Yeah. All right. Okay, Brad. So John watched it three times this week. Ooh. This is your first time truly getting through it. What how, What was your experience like? Yeah. So I th- I think this falls somewhere in between. So first off, I love anything like that's a period piece spy movie. You know, they they carve out their own space in the '60s to kind of stay away from Mission Impossible, Jason Bourne's. Um, you know, I I think this plays a happy medium in between like something like. Tinker Taylor Soldier Spy and Mission Impossible where it kind of has a little bit more of a slower pace talky talky a little bit and less like serious action um, you know it's a little you know again Tinker Taylor is a little bit more um, 19 was that I think that's in the 60s as well because that's Cold War era stuff um, you know it I do see how people really enjoy it, but I do have some nitpicky things that I will bring up later about how I think it kind of misses on some things. Um, but my initial viewing of this, I really enjoyed all the performances. I thought all of them are really good and it's kind of delightful to see, to watch, you know, I don't know if that's like a weird way to describe a movie. It's just delightful. <laughs> oh no, I agree a hundred percent. Yeah. So yeah. And again, it kind of reiterates my thought that Henry Cavill is a great actor. Um, you know, I think he's really charismatic in this movie and kind of like is like powerful to watch. And, um, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I don't want to say what I want to say, but I wish it was a little bit better. Like I feel <laughs> like it's almost great but there's some things that is holding it back. So when we circle back around, I'll let you know those things. Okay. So I have a question for both of you. What, what are your guys' opinion on jazz music in general? Love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. Yep. So this film, and I'm I'm with you, John. I could ask me how I feel about Roberta Flack. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because if you start a movie with that, I am in. Oh my god. Yeah. And, and we'll talk specifically about the music in a in a second, but. I have always really struggled to articulate why I love this film so much. And to your point, John, it is one of the movies that if you put in, it just instantly brings a smile to my face. And I've seen it a bunch of times. But the minute that it's over, I feel like I could go back and just watch it again and have as much fun with it as possible. And the only reason why I didn't watch it three or four times like you is I wanted to go back and revisit some of the old TV shows. But it finally just kind of stumbled um, in my brain, I think, this time, because I, I, I've i been dying to just listen to the soundtrack, so I went ahead and did that, and purchased the soundtrack, been listening to it all week, and that jazz analogy comes up. So 
real quick, do you guys know some of the basic elements of jazz? Just uh, if you were talking jazz music, music and you're trying to exp- you know explain it to somebody, I mean, what elements pop up for jazz? I know jazz is more improvisational. Yes, improvisation is a huge thing. Uh... Okay, so <laughs> you, you got syncopation, right? You got sort of a swing influence into it, blues. Improvisation is yes. a huge element. Now, improvisation is nothing new in music, but I think what is special about jazz is it's improvisation. Well, I also know that the white man stole it, so. <laughs> okay, you always got to go there. But you get improvisation on the blue scale, and it just has this universal appeal, and, and it just has this emotion to it. And syncopation, this is the thing that is always important about jazz. Syncopation prevents jazz music from getting boring. So basically it's that it, it's the very thing that can catch the listener by surprise. And it's the big element of jazz. So jazz musicians will vary their phrases by not playing the same note durations repeatedly. So that's syncopation, right? Otherwise the rhythm gets stale. So that's why I love jazz. It to me, it's just never stale. And if you go to a jazz performance and you see the same thing, there's always a difference to it, right? And another way to consider syncopation places emphasis on strong and weak beats. So this film, what I what I find so fascinating about it is the first action scene is a car chase, right? And then the final action scene in the film is a car chase. But yet both car chases feel totally unique. It's not playing the same note. It's jazz. Like this film is visual jazz, in my opinion. They're exciting, surprising, thrilling, fun, right? And and watching this film is like watching a jazz session to where you go, well, I'm going to go through the same type of action set piece, but I'm going to deliver something totally different in terms of soundtrack or visuals, um, even editing style, etc. And it feels improvisational. It's almost like, well, let's do a car chase again. We've already done one, but let's, you know jazz it up and and they come up with something that is again unique and thrilling just in every aspect of it and it has the momentum of swing music through so many key swings i mean you get solomon burke and and you know you you basically have army and um alicia like having this fight dance or whatever you call it to this fantastic soundtrack um and and again it just emphasizes this jazz motif and so I mean, I think this is one of the best films about jazz that isn't about jazz. And I I love this film. I absolutely love it because the reason why I love Jackie Chan films, especially from the 70s to the 90s, is they feel unique. Like, you won't see that type of film anymore. And I feel like The Man from U.N.C.L.E. is the type of spy action film that nobody has ever made. I can't think of another film that's like The Man from U.N.C.L.E. Um, that is delightful it's improvisational. It, it, it just has, I don't know, that syncopation, um, in the scenes that it brings together. And at the end of the day, there's just three major action sequences, but each one of those action sequences are so unique and they're so surprising. And I've seen this film, I don't know how many times. And every time I watch it, I still have those same feelings. That's how good this film is. Yeah, I, I can't disagree. I mean, this kind of goes back to when we talked about Firefly and we talked about how a TV series, then they get a movie, but there's never been a TV series uh, made after the movies come out. And it, it's such a shame because I, I truly believe that had Man, of Uncle, Man from Uncle um, really did superbly well at the box office, it, it, it possibly could have spawned a new TV series. I- because. 
Yeah, they, I agree. I mean, they have a they have a sequel set up in this movie. They definitely <laughs> do. They definitely do. Yeah. I mean, but to your point, Troy. I mean, yeah, there's there's syncopation. Thank you for the new word of the day. I'm going to go call my wife that and see if I get slapped <laughs> later. But um, it, it was it, it was there. The music, the, the rhythm, the editing, everything about this movie uh, for a Guy Ritchie movie. Um, he totally shocked me, and I and I'm 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 with you. I I, I really love this movie. Yeah, I think they looked at their budget. They looked at what they were trying to do. I guarantee they looked at the landscape. They looked at the Mission Impossible films, the Jason Bourne, the James Bond films, and they said, okay, let's do these action sequences and let's come up with a different take for it. Yeah. Uh, and and when we talk about the music specifically, I want to talk about the score, not just the fact that they're pulling these uh, just iconic musicians in for these amazing songs, but the score adds that element of excitement and freshness and, and just delightfulness to this film. I mean, it, it's so much fun. Yeah, and, and honestly, if you think about it, because they said this this is really not an homage movie to the TV series, um, and that's what really, to me, make, makes it stand out, because while it wasn't an homage, it brought a lot of the original series, especially the jazz music, um, um, from the TV series into it to create something unique, fun, and, to me, exciting. So, Well, and let's start with the performances. Um, I think we've kind of touched on it a little bit, when we looked at their filmography, but Henry and Army play off each other so well. I mean, they are so they much fun to watch. Do you guys have like a favorite exchange between the two or just scene? Well, I, I kind of like that they get so like, and, and this movie is totally different than this, but do you all remember seeing Bad Boys for the first time? Yes. Oh, yeah. Yep. And like Will Smith and Martin Lawrence bickered the entire movie. Yes. And even sequel after sequel they still bicker yes. and you're like guys work together you got a mission just work together in this movie there's a little bit of bickering to start off with and there's a little like hey i'm gonna spy on you you're gonna spy on me but there's none of that like crap that goes along with these movies where you have a guy from america and a guy from russia will they get along i don't know no they just work together and it's fine yeah. like good so we can have a movie because I don't want to hear you guys bicker for five minutes about who's going to do what or who's going to do this. So yeah, I, that's a good point. I it, it didn't it didn't fall into that age old I don't know stupid. Well, Americans are dumb and Russians are. My favorite scene of them bickering and just kind of getting into a pissing contest was their exchange when they're arguing fashion. So they just have to prove who's the smartest at terms of color coordinating or what's the latest trend, et cetera. And there's so much tension around that exchange, but it's hilarious. And it's a great example of, to your point, Brad, they're bickering. It It's not the bad boys bickering, but it's more of a, let me show you that I'm the best at this. And so I'm going to prove that. And um, it, it's it's just fun. And, and it's, again, it's surprising because they don't go off of the same lame, like Russian American stuff that you're sort of expecting with this type of film. They're, they're choosing these scenes, they're choosing these elements to kind of go after each other. Yeah. I mean, you're both right. I mean, cause to, to Brad's point, yeah, they start off bickering. Cause I mean, the first time they see each other, you know, um, in the restroom, I mean, Ilya just goes right after him, but you know, in terms of the scene that I think really, really kind of makes this movie and, and those two characters really stand out in, in how well they're going to work together is when um, Napoleon, he finds all the bugs and then he goes, <laughs> yes. knocks on his door and then he's, and then he's, you know, he answers the door and he's just like, these are 
Russian made. And he's throwing the bugs after every single word. And Ilya just goes, one minute. <laughs> he goes back inside, closes the door, comes back out, and he goes, these are American made. <laughs> low tech. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. yeah. And then he throws and- in the low tech. So it's no longer bickering. It's now, okay, you're going to try to one up me. I'm going to do you one better. And it was just, it was just so beautiful how that scene played itself out and, and really just, oh, it, it's a really good laugh. But you're always waiting for like one of the other ones, to, like stab the other in the back and it doesn't happen. You know, someone else does, but like, you know, those two work together the entire movie, even at the very end. So, and, well, and they I, don't want to, that you clearly see that it just annoys them to have to do that, but they understand the yeah. gain or the benefit from doing it. Yeah. I mean, even you know, Brad, you brought up, you know, towards the end. I mean, there was, there was really a tension moment where when I remember first seeing it, I was like, whoa, is this really going to go down the way I think it's going to go down? And it doesn't. And it was so awesome to see how they, they, they really just, you know, turn the tables on the viewers. It was really cool. Well, that, so I want to, I want to point that out because one of my favorite things is the whole watch gag. So when oh, Ilya God, loses yes. his watch yes, and you get all these little callbacks where he touches his arm or he looks for it and it's not there because it gets stolen. But that tense moment towards the end, the watch has a huge payoff as a result of that scene. So again, I think it's a great script. It's written very well, but those two play off of each other so well. Yes. And then, and then individually, Henry, I love that you bring up um, Robert Vaughn from the original series. I, he just... Uh, it oozes Robert Vaughn in yes, this film. He does. He's so cool. He's just the ladies' man, and I I don't know I don't know what you guys think. I I feel like the fact that he kept his shirt on for most of the movie, it gave Henry like a chance to concentrate on his acting skills. Um, well, and he's not he's not trying to show off his chiseled body or anything of that nature. He's really focused on the Napoleon solo, suave coolness aspect of it. Um, and, and I, it would make you think of him as Superman if he took his shirt off. You're like, oh, that guy's Superman. Well, that was oh, one of my yeah. sore points. He didn't have his shirt off as quite as often. Well, yeah, you know. I, oh, okay. I well, yes, I, right. But yeah. Oh, that's but, right. I mean, Brad called him dreamy. Yeah. Well, he, he's, <laughs> come on, dude. He come on, dude. is a stunningly handsome man. I am sorry. Yes. He is. He, is I agree. He, he is a boxer dropper, right? i tell you what. But, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome. But yeah, you know, Robert Vaughn, so anyone who's seen Magnificent Seven um, and, and Robert Vaughn's performance in Magnificent Seven, and even to, uh, I don't know if people's little known movie called Battle Beyond the Stars. Oh, yeah, Roger Corman. Roger Corman, <laughs> um, where he plays Galt, and he has that, you know... Is that the second Roger Corman uh, reference we've had today? I think so. Probably, <laughs> yeah, I think so. <laughs> but he just brings out this suave and the way he talks, and it just it's just so awesome. It's Henry... And I'm loving his performance, but I'm also saying, man, oh, love you, Robert Vaughn. Rest in peace. Yeah, he's he's so good. I mean, and and Army is so good too. Oh, he is. He he has this psychosis. You're absolutely right. I Careful. love the little finger twitch that he goes right oh, um, yeah. as a character, and he, he just has these anger issues. But his whole I, what I love about this film is it does he he starts to create this romance with Gabby and it really doesn't go anywhere, but you feel the tension and the connection between those two. And even that little wrestling match that they have in the hotel, it's just fun. Right. Yeah. But I love his character. He, and I'll tell you what, he pulls off the Russian accent. Fantastic. Oh, he did. I mean, I did want to see those two attractive people go out. Yeah. 
to be honest with you. Are you PG thirteen? Are you talking about Henry <laughs> Henry and Army? You want to see no, Henry and Army see, go at it? I want to see Gabby and Ilya go yeah. at it. Oh, okay. All right. And I, and and you know, without giving away too much, unless we want to. I, I mean, yeah, you're when he was playing off of Abby. It, you're right. There was tension, but there was moments where, wow, she is actually starting to dig Ilya. But then yeah. you come to find out, you know, well, maybe it was true, maybe it wasn't. I don't know. Yeah, I can't say. I, he's he was always my favorite character in the TV show, um, and and I Army's my favorite in the film. Although it's really hard because I like I like Henry's uh, character just so suave. I mean, when when he when he takes the uh, tablecloth and then pulls that out. I mean, yeah. He actually did that. That's not a special effect. Yeah. But he he does it. He pulls it off. He's so natural. But I, I got to tell you, I love how Army just handles everything, and even how Gabby trips him up when she's asking about the history of the steps oh, when God. they're going through their architecture <laughs> thing, and his frustration when she's like, "So they're like, you know, 137, or she was, you know, 89 when she had him." He's like, "Wait, what? Huh?" <laughs> I mean, no. He, yeah, he's he's so good in this film, and it it I don't know. I hate saying this, but every time I see the Man from Uncle, all I can see now, anytime I see Army, is Ilya. That's how good he is in this role. Yeah. Like it's really hard for me to divorce Army from this role because he just owns it. He he really does, and he really pulls it off. And yeah, the fountain scene, another great written piece that you know, both both actor and actress pull off so well and even when henry shows up it, it was just a it was a funny scene because yeah he was <laughs> they're so well he pulls up on a moped yeah like seeing henry cavill on a moped is weird no it's still stunning i mean it's like he was riding in a unicorn oh, yeah. he's still stunning it's henry <laughs> it's still st- <laughs> <laughs> stunning. Wow. but it, no, i mean and you're right it's it's kind of a different sort of pace for Guy Ritchie to kind of have a cool character right? moment where these guys, these people are just walking down some stairs and they're having like a character developing moment. And it kind of, you know, isn't, I don't know, a Guy Ritchie esque scene. It's just kind of easy. And it, it feels, authentic. it feels authentic. Yeah. It feels sweet. It's, it, it's a bit charming. Yeah. There's a, yeah, there's a charm to it that most guy, you know, most Guy Ritchie films have like some dirt thrown on them, you know? Yeah. You know, um, or a shirtless fight scene, but that wasn't, yeah. you know, in this movie. I mean, so, you know, again, kudos to Guy Ritchie. So you bring up fight scenes. Let's talk about the action. What would you guys think about the action? I mean, it's not, it's not a James Bond action film. It's not Jason Bourne. It's okay. not mission impossible. This, is, this, this is where my gripes come in. Okay. Let's, and, let's and, air them out, Brad. Okay. Well, so can, can we start with a positive of, before the griping? No, okay. no, right <laughs> no, no, no. Have you not listened to this show? <laughs> Brad's going to like have an aneurysm unless he gets his gripes out. <laughs> so there was a scene in a bathroom with three gentlemen kind of coming at uh, Army Hammer's character and they're making fun of him. And like, he literally like shuts the door and you're like, Oh, awesome. This is going to be a cool action scene. And then cut. And then he comes back out and it's over. And you're like, well, that would have been cool to see. And you never see what happens to those guys in the bathroom. And you're like, okay, that's kind of a bummer because this movie could definitely use some more action. And that definitely could use a Guy Ritchie sort of action scene right there. Um, And then the next one is that really, really bothered me was the boat chase. And it's like, all of a sudden, like, yes, 
Napoleon flies off the boat and then he swims to this truck. And then there's this like literally felt like 10 minutes where he's just sitting in the truck, having a sandwich, drinking some wine, I believe. And then drives the truck off the thing and lands on the boat. And you're like, okay, like that was a weird climax for this boat chase, but all right. And it's just like, I don't know for a film. That's like a spy thriller. There's really not like, that's why I bring up Tinker Taylor soldier spy. Cause it's like, there's not a whole lot of action going on in this movie. Less the beginning and the end of this movie. There's really not that much in it. And, and yes, the characters are then given chances to breathe and develop like going down the stairs and just having a conversation. But can it not live in both worlds? Can it not have those character moments and have the cool action as well? It. So do you, do you want to defend this, John? Or because we, there we'll talk about three action scenes. The the bathroom scene I think is a little unfair because I don't know. Like if you had inserted Army Hammer beating up three punks in the bathroom, I actually would have been like, okay, take it or leave it. It happened. But I I like the fact that the movie is really all about three action set pieces in the beginning, the middle, the end. Everything else is really the character development and stuff happens off screen and the concentration is more on the reaction of the characters, you know, not just army, but everything else. And you don't get to see the action. The concentration is on stuff. is supposed to have like some sort of consequence because like the uncle calls her and is like, hey, you know, three guys got beat up and the guy described kind of sounds like your fiance. And it's like, again, it would have been nice to see that because it's supposed to have consequence. Maybe. I, I don't think you need to see it. But again, I, I couldn't, if they put it in there, I wouldn't complain. The fact that they didn't have in, it in there. I mean, I don't know how you feel, John. It To I, me, I was yeah. okay with it not having it either. I, I was okay with it because again, you know, the, the remember the very first, time we see oh yeah i mean the dude ran down a little german car ripped off the trunk and then threw it with perfect timing back into their trunk um so you know he's a he's a big strong guy and to 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 watch him destroy these three little you know punks i i I think would have done it's a given disservice to the character i thought it was even because i laughed because you know, I kind of been in that situation where I came out of the door and he's just smiling. You know what I mean? He's like, ah, you know, he that felt good. He, he, in, <laughs> in, in a metaphorical way, he relieved himself. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, the, the boat chasing scene I thought was another one of that one upmanship uh, part um, to the point where Napoleon said, well, you know what? He said, he really didn't need me. I'm going to enjoy this panini and wine. And it was the song. I, I, I wish they had you know, a translation of the words, but there was something about that song. If you watch it, that after he, after he starts driving away, he's like, yeah, I can't really do this. So I'm going to go save the dude. I mean, yeah. yeah. I, I, I love the warehouse scene. I think there's, there's a tone to the warehouse scene that just starts at the beginning when they both show up. And they're both there. And it's unexpected, right? Yeah. So he walks up to the fence. Ilya's already there working on the fence. <laughs> oh, and yeah. to your point, I mean, I literally laughed out loud. Yeah. And it was just their expression. I thought it was so funny. And there's that whole one-upsmanship in terms of getting through the fence, opening uh, the door to get into the warehouse. And it's more comic. It's very surprising. 
and even that sequence where Ilya's standing behind the guy and has his hand up and he's like aiming with his oh. other hand and then all of a sudden hits him with the kiss, right? Yes. The KGB method where he knocks him out <laughs> while he's still standing. Then you go through the safe stuff and then all of a sudden the boat chase sequence comes out. So if you're Guy Ritchie and you go, we're, we're making a spy film and you got Tom Cruise hanging off of airplanes doing all this really you know cool shit and James Bond is doing his stuff with Daniel Craig, Jason Bourne shaking cam and hitting people you know, with six, seven times, whatever it is. If you're trying to make your movie stand out, you have to do something from an ash action sequence that is going to make it memorable. And I think it's freaking brilliant that all of a sudden you get uh, really solo, getting thrown off the boat, swimming to safety, getting into a truck, watching the events go by. So you see, you know, really the boats going back and forth because they're pinned, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. And you see the boats going back and forth, stage and he's just left, watching. Stage right. <laughs> he turns on the radio. He's eating a sandwich, having wine, and you're seeing the action. You see it blow up. And all of a sudden, he starts to drive off, and he's like, well, nope, I better go save him. You get the, the truck that falls on the boat, and then he swims down. It is so memorable. Like, I, yeah. I can sit there and, re and just tell you beat for beat what happens in that scene, but I'll be totally honest, I can't remember some of the action scenes from Mission Impossible simply because they might be dazzling, they may be good, and it's Tom Cruise doing this, but I don't connect with them as being original pieces the way that that warehouse whole sequence is. Right, and, and if you talk about spy action, well, again, I mean, because it's kind of kind of campy humor once you start realizing what they're you know what they're doing with that scene, uh, it's kind of like a Roger Moore Bond scene. You know, he's like judo chop, judo chop, and, and it works you know kind of well, but not like a, a real spy thriller for a Bond. But no matter what, it doesn't matter what bathroom fight scene there is. When Henry Cavill locks and loads, that's always number one. That's always going to be number one. <laughs> period. No, and I get that. I just I if you if you buy into this being visual jazz, you needed an action sequence in the middle of the film that was not going to be your your typical yep. action sequence. Yep. And I think they deliver that a hundred percent. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I kind of like the scene after that where they're like rushing to get back to the hotel before. Oh What's yeah. Shows up. Like yeah. That, yeah. Like to me, it's like, you know, I'm bummed out that yes, this action scene didn't go the way I wanted, but then immediately it kind of picks up and, and, and does something else. And I'm like, Oh, okay. Now that's great. I like that. Um, and, and that's kind of what I was talking about at the beginning. Like, this movie is on the cusp for me of being great. It's just, there's these like a few little nagging things. They're just like, God, I wish this was better. Or I wish this was better. Um, like I wish the villain was like better. I think she, the villain kind of sucks. And it, so I will agree and I with you there. there. I will agree with yeah. you there. But I, I think, you know, that goes to the syncopation aspect of it. You know, it's the strong and weak beats. You, you go into that action sequence expecting a strong beat. You're expecting like this big action set piece. And what you get is really a weak beat. You get Henry Cavill sitting back and watching the action. The action's unfolding in a mirror or it's unfolding, you know, it, it's really taking place outside of everything. And I, I love that a aspect of it. Again, yeah. it, it's sort of the jazz element of the film. Yeah. And then 
before we talked about the villains or anything else, I do want to talk about the two car chases to get, kind of get your guys' opinion. So I always thought it was odd that it starts with a car chase and ends with a car chase. Sort of, Well, not just a car chase, well, but they, really. they do a raid on you know the island, and then you get this off-road car chase. But at the end of the day, it's still a car chase, mm-hmm. right? Yes. But in the beginning, I absolutely think it is a fantastic example of you get character development based on the action sequences that are happening um, and even the description of the characters once it happens. So you mentioned this a little bit, John, where Army is running after the car and he's just yeah. ripping the bumper off. But I, I love how Solo is describing the events. Yeah. And he goes, you should have seen it run. Yeah. It tore the back <laughs> off my car. That that whole sequence is so cat and mouse and it leads to a really fun foot chase sequence. But again, the the soundtrack and everything that's playing to that, it just you, you don't get any better than that sequence in terms of just fun action. Yeah, it that movie kind of peaks in the first fifteen minutes. Yeah. You think so? I I, I I mean that first that opening sequence is amazing, ending with them crossing the wall on the zip core or the zip line into the back of the truck. Like to me, that first 15 minutes, I was like, Oh my God, if this movie is like this, like yeah. it is going to be amazing. Yeah. And sadly it, it's like punching up to it. And it's, it's definitely almost reaching yeah. it. Um, but no, I think that first 15 minutes is almost perfect. Yeah. I mean, between the music, the, the visual, yeah, between the, mu- and, yes, and the exactly. visual styling and the way they did some of the overhead shots to look down and it was, it was just, it was just great. And again, you know, Guy Ritchie being hit or miss for me. I'm sitting there going, wow, where has this been, Guy? No, it, well, so let's talk about the last sequence. You you didn't find the last sequence to be as exhilarating? No. Really? Nope. Yeah, I, the problem is, is that there's too many. So it's cutting back. It's like villain, and then, you know, then it's, you know, Napoleon, and then it's motorcycle, and then it's like cut, cut, cut. You know, he's trying to, the motorcycle's trying to catch up to the two you know, vehicles and all this stuff. And it just, it feels like there's too many elements at work. Um, I just kind of wish it was one-on-one sort of deal. Like, you know, our two heroes in a car chasing after the bomb. I think it would have been a little bit easier to follow. I was never really in doubt that they're going to stop this bomb, you know? And, and I had seen the boat leave from the dock or leave from the, when the, you know, when it's the car leaves the, the hideout, you right. see a boat yeah. leave. And I'm like, wait, there's a boat there. So I, I really enjoy it. I love the cuts that they do, the multiple scenes that they're displaying with the music that's going on. Yeah. And it leads, you know, really into a motorcycle, a Jeep, and I don't know, a dune buggy or something kind of going after each other during this terrain. The music, the way it puts together, I, I actually think it's pretty thrilling. And the fact you get to see, you know, him pick up a motorcycle and throw it at another guy. Oh god. <laughs> yeah. I, I it it just it feels visceral. I that's the thing about the last portion of it is the first portion feels smooth and the last action sequence feels a bit more raw. And again, I think it goes back to that different style. They're 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 really trying from an improvisational or syncopation, everything else, it's saying, we're going to give you a car chase scene, but we're going to do it entirely different. So it's the same song with, with, you know, a variance on it. Yeah. And I think, I think you hit it like kind of like right on the head. So I don't know if you've picked up on it. So 
so I, I will agree with Brad just a little bit in that uh, the zoom in, the zoom out, and the crossing. There, was, if they had cut out maybe fifteen more percent of that, um, I would have been a little bit more happier with it because it started getting a little um, nauseous. I guess you'd say motion sickness trying to watch it all. But to your point, Troy, what I loved about that entire end sequence was we've seen car chases left and right. And a lot of it is, you know, the chase, you know, uh, <laughs> Buford T. Justice chasing the bandit. It's pretty much <laughs> the same. Yeah. It's pretty much the same emotional, the same, the same face, same facial features and stuff like that. But with between Napoleon, Ilya, and even Gabby, you zoom in to see Napoleon. He's scanning. Where's Ilya? I need his backup. And then Ilya, it zooms out of um, Napoleon, zooms into Ilya. And he's like, okay, there's Napoleon. Oh, there's Gabby. And then it just zooms into Gabby. And, you know, for the first time, you're seeing an actual emotion on her face. She's truly scared about the whole situation. And it's a back and forth. So it's not just... Um, a car chase with three different vehicles it, it's it's an emotional i guess you could say lack of a better term vehicle in which man you know how are they going to stop this vehicle yeah they're going to stop it but you know what's the end result and just the constant back and forth to each of these characters i, I really loved it because i don't i can't remember a time where i've seen a chase scene where it, it does that where it it says it's not just a car scene look what this guy's thinking look what this guy's feeling look how she's thinking and feeling it's visceral. Like yeah. I said, the fir the first one is very smooth. It's very classy. It, it is very cat and mouse. Yeah. This one is a bit more grungy. And to your point, John, you you really feel the tension, a little bit of the terror on Gabby's face. Uh, I, I agree with you. The villains, uh, <laughs> they're they're just there from a plot perspective. I don't think. Did you like that the one guy tortured Jews? How? Oh, God. Where did that come from, <laughs> Uncle Rudy? Yeah. That was one of the funniest well, scenes in the entire movie when that circles back around. Okay. No, no, no. Well, when, I, when, when Ilya finally comes to Napoleon's rescue from there. He fix, yeah, he fixes the glitch. <laughs> he fixes the glitch, yes. Well, so the, the humor in it, did you guys, did you laugh out loud? Yes, multiple times. What about you, Brad? Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely like thought things were funny now were they laugh out loud funny for me no not really but there's definitely i can no i can notice the humor in this movie <laughs> uh, it, see i'm uh, this is one of those films i always have a smile on my face but then there are elements that i do laugh out loud a little bit I, again i i did laugh out loud when napoleon shows up at the fence and turns and sees Ilya. <laughs> uh, just their expression is absolutely hilarious I, I did find the whole kiss sequence, the KGB thing, oh, was yes. was hysterical. And then there's all there's these funny moments where Napoleon recognizes he's drugged. You know, Elizabeth Debicki's doing her speech thing, and he's looking around and he decides he's going to lay down because the last time that he got drugged, and he hurt his head really bad. I I I find the script to be very smart, very funny, filled with a lot of laugh. I mean, if you're not smiling you know, from the first frame to the last frame of this film, I think I, to me, you're dead inside. So no, I, yeah, there's definitely a delight to this movie. Like I said, like I was delighted to see things like that. Now I wasn't like, you know, rolling around laughing my head off or anything like that, but yes, there, it did bring like a little smile to my face. 
And I, so that's good. I'm not all the way dead yeah, inside. Yeah, just, just yeah. partially. Be nice, Troy. I mean, for the for a first time watch, I mean, I'm happy to hear that Brad kind of basically enjoyed the movie. Well, so this was one that the minute I put on the list, and I knew, I, I knew for some reason, Brad, I thought you'd never seen it. I didn't know you'd kind of partially seen it. But even, but even watching it this time, I'm like, I think Brad's really going to like this film. And again, it goes back to that thing of it's a typical story. You get the plot in the first, what, 15 minutes yes. even before the car chase thing. Oh, yeah. I mean, and it's not like a bad guy is making an atomic bomb. Yeah, that's the plot. They're, they're chasing yeah. after it. And the rest of the film really comes down to the style. It's the character development. It's the exchange. It really has so much inventive ways of taking a traditional story and and really making it feel fresh but at the same time it grounds you within that 60s vibe so even as i'm watching it and to your point brad you can nitpick this thing and i actually think you're right on a couple of things like the things that bother me probably more have to do with the villain aspect like i i just yeah. wish there was something heavier almost non-existent yeah then those three the uncle you know the victoria and then, you know the husband and wife yeah. they they just don't do much well the, the uncle is literally short-lived like is he from scene one of his to his last scene is it 10 minutes yeah yeah probably yeah if that yeah and and he has a memorable moment at the end i mean he he's pretty darn psychotic when he's showing these images to napoleon and just saying oh i'm gonna put you on this page and here's what i'm gonna do to you i like that aspect of it but at that point it feels like it's a little too little too late he just he was menacing at, oh. at that point but up until then i really didn't catch it sorry i'm getting i'm getting gabby's uncle and gabby's father confused i'm sorry so yes gabby's father is almost non-existent in this movie and he's supposed to be a huge like plot point he's the MacGuffin, right yeah, yeah, but Gabby's uncle. I mean, to your point, that's where he kind of like breaks the mold because you know you've seen the spy movies. Like, tell us what you know. I will never tell you. If they throw him in the chair. You don't need to do this. I'm going to tell you everything you want to know. Just, just <laughs> ask away. I mean, it was that was one of my laugh out loud moments. It's just, it yeah. was just great when they turn the tables yeah. and then they walk out of the room. They're having the conversation. I laughed when he caught on yeah, fire. He fixed, yeah, he fixed glitch. <laughs> but it, but I I I like the fact that a lot of the things going on in this film, it, it makes it rewatchable because if you go back and say hey i caught what you know the first time watch the the plot and what was going on but if you pay attention to what's going in the background there's, there's a lot of stuff going on in the background it in terms of scenes there is a lot of stuff going on and i find these scenes very rich and and they just look good um and and that brings me to the style i love the cinematography yes i love how they do multiple scenes displayed on the screen and yet it never becomes confusing um, it's like an inventive use of transition and it's a complicated way to show action again it feels like a jazz piece hate, hate sound like a broken record but it's it's original and it's never confusing I don't know how you guys felt I know Brad you kind of mentioned towards the end there you found that car chase sequence a little confusing I didn't um, I like the zoom in zoom out to John's point no I just think it's too busy yeah and I, I could totally see that um and the other thing is the little, I don't know, camera placement and flourishes. The thing that comes to mind is when they're opening the safe and the camera is on the safe and it's, you know, focused on solo. And as the door is opening, you know, the camera's fixed on the door and it swings and now it's on Ilya. 
it's those little sequences that I think are really good. And again, that goes back to our cinematographer. I, I think between that and the editing, you know, it, John Matheson, he's doing some fun stuff in here. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, between the cinematographer and again, the director, I mean, that, that scene to me kind of sums up how great this movie is from a camera standpoint you're exactly right i mean napoleon gives this big speech um where you know you find out he's a he's a master thief and stuff like that and he cracks open the safe and you know the door opens as Ilya says what about the alarm and as the door keeps opening he's like 307s don't have alarms and as hey, you watch this beautiful shot and as soon as it stops and it goes to Ilya, the alarm goes off and it was just brilliant it was just brilliant yeah, it's so good. And then even even how they introduce subtitles into the scene is so good. Oh, yeah. Again, it's not your just typical letters at the bottom. I mean, they become part of the composition of the shot in the scene in and of itself, and it, it's just done so well. Yeah, it, it really was. Again, kudos to Guy Ritchie, cinematography, the, the, the you know first director, photographer, all that good stuff. It was just really, really well done for a Guy Ritchie film. I, I can't say that more enough. Yeah, I, I would definitely point this one out to people who maybe haven't given Guy Ritchie a chance and say, no, actually, the guy can yes. direct. Like, this is, that is this a is, good no, point. Yeah. That's an excellent point. And it doesn't feel like the Sherlock Holmes film. I mean, the Sherlock Holmes films I like, but there's a ton of that slow motion cinematography that goes on in there, which, which is kind very of Matrix. It's those, it's good. It's and I'm those not. Those are your those are your you know like when you really like an indie band or something like that, and then they go into the studio and they make like an overproduced sort of movie. Those are what those are. Yes, like they're fine. That's a good analogy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they're not those dirty sort of, you know, like garage band type albums. Um, you know, and this is kind of getting back to a little bit of that, like learning how to direct from using that overproduction from you know Sherlock Holmes but still kind of keeping your style and kind of molding those two together and and yeah when anyone says now nah, I don't know if Guy Ritchie's a good director I'd be like well actually Man From Uncle is probably his best directed yeah. film he's yeah. done um, it's the most visually interesting movie he's done I mean there, there are some stuff in Snatch with the slow motion and stuff but you know, he doesn't kind of lean on that stuff in this movie. He's much more sophisticated. Yeah. Well, and I think he's more consistent. Like, yeah. uh, you're, you're, that's a really good point because in his other films, he has flourishes. But I, I think working with this cinematographer, he has a consistent pace and he's always surprising you with all these different elements. And again, I, I would go back to the action sequences and the exchanges and everything else, where the camera is, what's going on in the scene. Guy Ritchie just is really crafted something that is just fun to look at yeah i mean it's like it's like you both pointed out i mean that was something some of the stuff that you know guy ritchie was known for it's like well how do you know you're watching a guy ritchie film oh is there people fighting that don't have a shirt on snatch sherlock holmes i mean it was a lot of the stuff that he's he's you know he's kind of it's like the Zack snyder uh he did 300 right i can't remember like yeah. the slow-mo action yeah. parts right that's Zack snyder that's that's what they could so what Guy Ritchie was always known for delivering for his films, he really kind of like said, you know what? I'm going to leave that aside. Let's do something new. And it really pays off. Oh, I agree. So can we talk about, can we talk about the music, the soundtrack? Oh, it was oh, phenomenal. Geez. 
Daniel Pemberton. I'm telling you this. He he gives us a jazzy version, I think, of an Ennio Morricone. Uh, I I I just had that vibe in there, but that score is so good. And there is uh, again the reason why I think Brad you you point out just um, so eloquently about that first 15 <laughs> minutes about it's the best action sequence in the film. I agree with you 100. percent but the score, and, it, and it's called Escape from East Berlin. It's the best music ever created for an action sequence. It really sets the pace, and it adds the <laughs> smoothness and everything that's going on. But, I mean, you start your movie out with Roberta Flack singing Compared to What. You get Solomon Burke, Cry to Me. You end your film with Nina Simone, for goodness sakes, Take Care of Business. I mean, th- I have been listening to the soundtrack, and the soundtrack's fantastic because it has Pemberton's original score on there plus um, this music. You know, and shoot, if if you don't know who Solomon Burke is, go buy any Solomon Burke greatest hits. I love Solomon Burke. But I, this is one of the best soundtracks for me that um, in terms of films I just love to listen to. And it's so it, – talk about a score that really adds to the excitement of the scenes that are going on. Oh, yeah. I mean, and like, that's what a, a score is supposed to do, is supposed to heighten the scene up and mission accomplished with, with this score. And like I said, dude, the combination of the action and the music in that first 15 minutes, it's like – I don't know. It, it almost was like – am I really watching a guy Richie right? movie? Like, <laughs> right? It was kind of shocking. I'm like, wait, I'm watching the, man, the wrong man from Uncle. I have to. <laughs> no, I mean, it's so good. Yeah, it's just so out of left field for him. Yeah, and I think that's that's the really pleasant surprise is, you're right, from you know the opening credits to as soon as you hear the music and stuff, you're getting... Oh, just loved it, you know, all the way as you said, Troy, right to the end where it's a it's a pull pan shot of the just the trio and just oh, it it was just so gorgeous. As Brad is, as you said, when I first saw this, I'm like, this is Guy Ritchie, you know, because if you think about it, like um, the music, like you say, sets set, you know, can make or break a film. That's what I found hard about King Arthur: Legend of the Sword. I mean this the the scene where they're running through you know the town to try to escape you know the king's guards i love the cinematography i love the music but then it, the rest of the movie is just like what happened man from uncle just wow 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 it's say if you guys haven't downloaded the soundtrack or bought it you, you have to it's such a fun listen and what's what's great about it, and I, I don't know how you guys are, there's certain soundtracks when you listen to them, you can just see the movie playing out in your head. Yeah. And this is one of those soundtracks. Yeah. And anytime I listen to Cry to Me Now, I'm just going to be thinking of, you know, Ilya and Gabby wrestling and hitting each other and stuff. I mean, it's it's so perfect. Can we talk about Nina Simone a little bit more? Like, oh, <laughs> So good. Yeah. So good. Yes. I just, I just, <laughs> I just, speaking of Nina Simone, I just, bought one of her cds i totally forgot about it i think the album's called baltimore really um, okay dad buying cds good for you dude i i couldn't find I know, it on vinyl so it was like here we go cd can i so borrow that i gotta own the physical media right absolutely you can burn it um what else guys i i this movie's obviously getting lots of love from from this microphone what else you want to talk about oh uh, again just you know seeing what Guy Ritchie's got planned for the future for his releases, you know, it, it's kind of, 
it, it makes me worried that he might go back to his roots and you know how he started going you know uh, how, he tried to say he doesn't have a style um and kind of paraphrase the guy but you know again when you watch this movie you know, as brad you know so eloquently pointed you know you you ask yourself am i really watching a guy Ritchie movie because this isn't I, like yet anything else that he's done i mean it's so it, it's 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 a one truly wonderful movie that i worry about all other movies that he might do and maybe he's gonna hit some home runs maybe not but for now man from uncle definitely love it that's my most favorite guy Ritchie film right now yeah i i think he's always i don't know how to say this when i watch snatch or you you watch anything that he's done there there's all these elements even in sherlock holmes the man from uncle is is where Guy Ritchie's is, is at his most consistent. I think the key word here is consistency. It's not little flourishes. It doesn't pop up for this sequence. But the man from Uncle from start to finish just has this fantastic 60s consistent style. It, it is watching a jazz ensemble just unfold right in front of you. And you never know where it's going to go. It's so surprising. And the choices, the bold choices that it decides to make at every key scene. And, and again, some of you may look at that and go, well, I, I want a little bit more of this, a little bit more of that, but you cannot deny that you didn't expect it. And when it hits its highs, it just really, no movies comparing to it. Uh, when it hits its lows, its lows are coming at the, the least expected place. And again, it's delightful. It's, it's that whole just jazz element that really makes this thing just stand out amongst his entire filmography yeah. i mean i i remember talking with a friend of mine about you know is guy Ritchie going to be the next you bowl and thankfully he's not i mean because like you said <laughs> how could you even compare those two yeah that's that's it was, it no. really unfair but I... have you seen postal yes yeah okay and what is it um what, what was that alone in the dark no the dead movie Island of the Dead or House, House of, the, of dead. the Dead. Oh House God dead. Almighty! Um, but yeah. Oh yeah, House of the yeah. yeah yeah yeah. So, but this is if you have not seen a Guy Ritchie film, start with this one and then go from there. Okay. I I you know I think this is his best technical movie he's he's made for sure. I think this is one of those ones where you're like, from start to finish is the most consistent and it's easily like the most watchable. You go back and watch snatch and lockstock i don't know if you guys have seen it in the past few years um i think it's been like five years for me for snatch i mean you forget that how long that movie is and how kind of bloated it is um now like the characters are fun and all that stuff but you know it's got some fat on it here you know breezy movie um <laughs> here's how dumb i am when it comes to man from uncle i was like Oh, this is a period piece. We're getting like a 1960s like Cold War <laughs> era stuff. This is awesome. So you know, even then, like they nail the aesthetic there. So yeah, I I I, I think this is his best movie. I, I agree. I'm looking at his filmography, and as much as I love his early stuff, and I really love The Gentleman from last year, Sherlock Holmes is fun. But this to me is is Guy Ritchie's best film that he's ever done. It it's the one if you told me hey, we're going to watch a Guy Ritchie film you get to pick. I would always pick this one out of all of them. So um, be before we get to the question whether this thing's not a bomb, the thing that I did do, and I know you guys didn't do this this week, is I went back and looked at some of the TV shows, but I did it in a unique manner. I didn't know this. So The Man from Uncle, 
what they did was they took a couple of episodes and they put them together and in the European market they released them as movies so you can go to Amazon and you can get the Warner archive and they have about eight movies uh, that they offer that are man from uncle movies but basically think of it this way you take two or three episodes you put them together and you get you know 80 90 minute feature and most of these movies played as double bills over in Europe so I managed to watch three of them. I watched the first two, um, To Trap a Spy in 1964, which was the original pilot. And I didn't know this. I learned something. So back in the 60s, they would shoot the pilot in color. So the first season of Man from, from Uncle on television was in black and white. But when they picked up the pilot, they turned around and took the color version that they shot and did some additional sequences and then released it as a film over in Europe called To Trap a Spy. And even then, they hadn't sort of um, settled on what the, the I don't know what you call, the villain organization was going to be. So in the TV series, it's Thrush. But in the first film, they refer to it as Wasp. But the, the, the first movie really concentrates more on Solo. Ilya's barely in it, and it's really just a Robert Vaughn piece. And then the other two I watched was One of Our Spies is Missing, 1966. It's the one that came out after that. And then... I jumped ahead and watched The Karate Killers from 1967. And of course you would. Yes, that, that was just going to totally. And what's, what's fun about The Karate Killers is Jill Ireland is in it. And again, she was married to David McCollin, who played Iliad. And we talked about this. She would go up uh, and marry Charles Bronson. I got to tell you this. Jill Ireland is Lamo. just <laughs> drop dead gorgeous in the 60s. Just put that out what, there. What did you say? What? George George Dropper? What did you Boxer say? Earlier? Dropper. Boxer <laughs> Dropper. <laughs> Henry Cavill and Jill Ireland are boxer droppers. Yes, they are. Okay. So um but I'm telling you, the TV show, I, I'm gonna finish the films. I may just go back and pick up the entire series because I'm having a lot of fun with that. I remember as a kid, I liked watching Man from Uncle because it's where I got my Roger Moore James Bond fix. But the the fun thing about this series is both solo and Iliad, they're they get beat up all the time. They're, they're not oh, God, the best yeah. fighters. They're getting smacked around. And 100% Solo is definitely the ladies' man. Ilya is sort of the guy of action. And I love that Henry and Army sort of pick up on that and are, are 100% playing to it within the film. And then a couple of other observations. So uh, nothing beats 60s TV karate, okay? <laughs> Which... After after watching it, I now know I'm officially a master of 60s TV karate based on my individual background and natural ninja skills. Um, and the other thing that I totally forgot I missed was spy traps. Like when, you know, gigantic wine vats that are going to get crushed in or this makeshift ice chopper, which makes no sense, but they're tying people to it and they're, you know, and I, and I love that uh, the backdrop when they're driving, how you just know it's like some screen that they're projecting on. It just looks funny. And I love that all the goons are wearing matching outfits you know, like red shirts and black leather jackets. I love that stuff. The other thing is in the 60s, I think bullets worked differently. Um, they were only really effective when you pulled the trigger and like pushed the gun in the air to get the bullet out faster when you're shooting. Yes. So I think they fixed that now. Um, but yeah, those, those TV shows, they're so much fun. And um, I don't know, McCollum and, and Vaughn is, 
they're a delight. They really are. And you can really tell that Richie was a fan of the TV series. And I think he captured all of the great elements of the show and kind of brought him to the big screen. But if, if you don't want to go through all the seasons of Man for Uncle, I, I highly recommend just going out and picking up that Warner Archive set. Because, again, you get the TV show but in a movie format, and uh, they're, they're tons of fun. Yeah, it's awesome. And you get the Karate Killers with, karate with Jill killers. Ireland. So. Can, can I can I reference something real quick since since we yeah yeah so we're talking about 60s and we're talking about and we mentioned Star Trek at the start of the show um, I, I I didn't know this I found this out while doing a little bit of research did you know that the very first time William Shatner and Leonard Nimoy appeared on a screen together was on an episode of what the man from uncle ninth episode no kidding two years before Star wow. Trek yes I found that out and I was like that's cool. We are dropping all types of <laughs> trivia bombs tonight, man. All right. Speaking of bombs, um, Brad, I'm going to, I'm going to start with you is 2015's the man from uncle a bomb. Oh, absolutely not. Absolutely not. It is a very fun film. Um, it is so close to being great for me that it's, it's hard to like, not say it's great, but like, there's just a few things, but you know, it, it is, it is a delight and it is fun. And, uh, Henry Cavill is dreamy. So I have a question for you. If you watch it again, cause I know you'll watch it again. Yeah. Do you, yeah. Do you think multiple watches will actually kind of move it into that great case? Now that you've seen it, you know what to expect. Do you think multiple viewings are actually going to help it out? It could for sure. For sure. Um, cause I was definitely, um, you know, not knowing what to expect. I mean, I had seen like a little bit of it. So it was like, I don't know. I, I, I definitely think that when I go back and watch it again, maybe I can overlook some of the things that I thought were flaws. Um, I do expect this to get better with repeat viewings for sure. Okay. John, how about you? Is man from uncle a bomb? Hail to the gnaw. No, it, yes. it is not a bomb. Good man. It is, it is again for someone who always looked at guy, Richie, um, as hit or miss this is truly his stand-up best movie he's ever directed um yes brad henry is dreamy he is definitely a boxer dropper um everything about this movie was just awesome and again visually um, character and especially music wise this is uh guy Ritchie. i hope you're listening to this episode this is one of your best man this was this was a great movie i agree with you both a hundred percent. Now, listen, people, just just hear me out. If if you have not seen this film, do yourself a favor, make your life better and go out and watch this film. Buy it. Don't don't rent it. Just buy it. I don't care if you buy it digitally, you buy the physical. You're going to watch it multiple times. You're going to fall in love with this thing. Trust us on this. We are giving you like the not a bomb seal of approval on this thing. I, I don't think there's going to be a sequel. If they do anything with it, obviously they're going to reboot it. But I'm, I'm just telling you, you have to go see this film. You haven't seen it. And if you have seen it, go watch it again. It, it deserves all of your attention. So with that, Brad, if anybody wants to tell us what their thoughts are on the dreamy Henry Cavill and what their, I don't know, take is on the man from uncle, how did they get a hold of us? Uh, that is not a bomb pod at gmail.com, especially if you want to, you know, correct anything that we say today or me specifically. You want to call me out. 
for getting one little minute detail about the Christmas story wrong, but you know, whatever. No, hey, uh, and thank you, Ben. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and, Made my day. <laughs> and, and we will add Mortal Kombat to our list. Um, you know, it was on our list because you know it's a video game movie, so it reviewed terribly. Uh, but we'll move it up. We'll move it up soon. Um, That's awesome. Ish, soonish. All right. Um, so speaking of that, what what's the? I don't know what our next movie is. It's your pick. Oh yeah. So this was one of our recommendations we got from our book challenge. Um, oh, it's Kevin's pick. It's Kevin's pick. It is the adventures of Buckaroo Banzai across the eighth dimension. Oh my goodness. So we're definitely going to have to have a conversation about uh, dragon sound and the Hong Kong Cavaliers, which is the better band. <laughs> <laughs> are we going to, are we going to have a vote? <laughs> No, we're gonna have a conversation about it. So, <laughs> do I got to go buy some soundtracks? Is that it? Yes, yes. Okay. So far, Dragon Sound is like undefeated, but you know, Dragon Sound's undefeated. Yes. Okay. They have a song about. I mean, it's all about karate. So anyway, uh, yeah. So we were doing the uh, 1984 science fiction film, uh, Buckaroo Banzai. I'm excited. I am so excited for that. Okay. Well, listen, folks, I don't know if you're listening in the morning, the afternoon, or the evening. Thank you so much for tuning in. John, man, I, I, every time you come onto the show, I have so much fun. I know you've got a super busy schedule, so I can't thank you enough for taking time to watch The Man From U.N.C.L.E. three times this week, sharing all your thoughts on it. It is an absolute delight having you on in every episode. And it's always a delight to be on with you, too. It, this, is, this is so much fun, and it's so much fun, you know, knowing that the fans listen to us and especially when we make mistakes or Brad makes mistakes, but, um, oh, not we, Brad. <laughs> <laughs> but it's always a blast and yes. Awesome. Awesome. Fun times. Awesome. Hey, we got a, a three stamp of approval film. That's pretty rare Ooh. around here. That is rare. Although Brad, you know, in, in full disclosure, the person that pointed out my mistake is actually on this podcast. When I, incorrectly associated tom cruise's oh, yeah. <laughs> top gun with the uh air force yeah even though they land on naval ships yeah but you know whatever so listen folks we're not going to get it right 100 percent. at the end of the day i mean we're just you know some guys who like to watch films and talk about them so accuracy be damned right yeah, sure. <laughs> especially i can't get a last name to save my life so this is what you're getting here all right if you want quality movie podcasts there are like a bazillion out there we're like the b-side so there you go um what else brad are we missing anything no man uh john thanks for coming on yeah, thank you um thanks for listening everyone if you enjoy our podcast please share it with your friends um find us on social media not a bomb pod um Leave us a review um, if you want. I think, yeah, you know, yeah, we're collecting please. those at yeah. iTunes. Those help. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So. All right, then. Hey, same bad time, same bad channel next week. <laughs> awesome. Well, if you're playing along, don't forget to watch Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai. We're going to be talking about that next week, and we'll catch you later. Thank you. Have a nice day. Bye, everyone. Bye.